McGoey on his own. He gets the try. The Red 78. We're both monster people. Nobody knows monster rugby better. Carberry gets over the line. Try from Monster. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Monday morning. It's Jaron Nathan with you all the way through until 10 this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can also leave a comment in the YouTube stream. We stream live every morning on YouTube or, um, I don't know, get us on Twitter, at Off The Ball AM either. Nathan, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Hey, good. How was Scotland? Uh, great. Great. I think Hamden has uh, gone right up there in my maybe... Top five favourite football stadiums? Right. Oh, atmosphere was absolutely electric. It seems very big on the telly, watching back all those years. The pitch, you know, you think back to Ferguson going mad after they've won about it not being good enough. And it seems far away from... But have they managed to make it somehow more closed in? It's a strange stadium because from the outside it's not impressive at all, but it's one of these where the pitch is dug right into the ground. Right. And maybe that's what sort of keeps the atmosphere in. It turns out also there's a lot of really good Scottish music. Uh, so they're sort of playing that from an hour out. And then for the last sort of 15 minutes, a bit of Freed from Desire yeah, it's, uh, gets everyone going. Definitely, definitely Scottish Freed from Desire. No, no, not, not that. But everything I was everything, say, everything, everything was like, before was, that was getting me in the mood. Okay. And also it was, played, it was played at a nice volume. A nice volume. Old, old people could still talk to each other. Like e- exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, yeah, the stadium was packed sort of 15, 20 minutes out. Uh, definite edge it felt between the supporters as well. A little bit of, yeah, Scots are booing the Irish anthem. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, what was that about? Usually it's, you know, united in hatred of the English. But for uh, some reason, uh, the Scots... Oh, well, there you go. I mean... Uh, James McLean walked out he had this giant smile on his face uh, I think just buzzed off the atmosphere he obviously felt the full brunt of John McLean uh, John McGinn's arse inside about 30 seconds uh, but yeah it was it was intense it was obviously very niggly on the pitch as well and it was a cracking game and I think coming away from the stadium uh, what I felt and what I think talking to a lot of Irish supporters since then felt was yeah, really good game really entertaining game Ireland played very well for long periods but Scotland were just that little bit better when it mattered in the second half and that was the sort of overall assessment and then you wake up this morning uh, to I think as I predicted last week uh, full on crisis in Irish football can I, can I just give you your due I know it's very unlike me here Nathan it, we don't really like to sing your praises we like to give you shit non-stop because that's, the, that's your role here Fair generally enough. but actually I would say you have very accurately predicted, like in kind of one of those uh, eerie, uh, you're like the Simpsons predicting Donald Trump. Um, Last week you told us what was going to happen. What did you say? Well, I was making the point that all these international windows have had the same pattern, that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, everyone's still talking about the Premier League reflecting. Nobody's really thinking about Ireland. Uh, There's a real calmness to the situation. Like, it was a very uneventful build-up. And you can't envisage a world where a week on we're talking about Stephen Kenny's future, regardless of what happened. Uh, you know, this wasn't a 3-4-0 hammering over at Hamden Park. It was a very tight game that Ireland could just as easily have won if they'd taken their chances. Uh, but the intensity around this job is unlike anything else. And the position Stephen Kenny finds himself in at the moment is every defeat is some sort of sporting catastrophe and a huge question mark over his future. And his job is either on the line or not on the line. Uh, it seems it's not on the line right now, but if they were to lose tomorrow night at home against Armenia, it would be on the line. And listen, maybe losing at home to Armenia, your job should be on the line. Yeah, yeah. And look, the only thing about that is that, like, isn't the draw next week? 
So you'd be sacking a manager to get him in time for the new draw or having no manager for the draw and then, I don't know. You don't need a manager for the draw, but you're only going to have two friendlies uh, against Norway and Malta uh, to prepare for the next campaign. But I, I just didn't feel there was anything on Saturday night to suggest that Ireland aren't heading in the right direction. No. It was a very, very good performance. The one thing you'd say, and we'll talk about this, which, well, I'll tell you what, we leave all this to the performance rankings because they're coming up in just a moment. Uh, Chris Kyle says, <clears throat> Morning, lads. I thought I'd leave a comment before all the pro and anti-Kenny madness. I thought we were decent. Kenny, for me, deserves the Euro qualifiers, but if we fail, he has to face the music. I think everyone's in agreement with that. Like the, Every Ireland manager's contract should be must qualify for the Euros. Yeah, I, I don't think everybody is in agreement with that. I think we're in agreement with that. I think you're going to find a lot of people straight away going, what? No, this is the worst ever. Look at the stats. And they, they have fallen back on their received wisdom that this man couldn't possibly manage Ireland because I don't see him. I've never seen him on the touchdown of a Premier League game. And there's a lot of people who take their, their lead from that still. It's 7.35. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. So the performance rankings, we will obviously talk about the Republic of Ireland in a moment. Uh, stay with us. Sue Ronan's going to give us her analysis at 10 past 8. We sports pages for you at half past 8. Sports news with Colin Milani at 8.40. Uh, Quinny's going to talk about Munster. Munster, Red. Red Munster. Mike Carlson at uh, 10 past nine. It was Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers, potentially for the last time ever last night. And they served up a turkey. And at half nine, the, uh, a bit of the Sunday papers for you as well on review. Right. Time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is with just lack that intensity. Uh, Roy Keane back on the field over the course of the uh, week in a, in a Legends game. Uh, booed as well. Uh, at Anfield unsurprisingly Colm says he played well the reports I read was he had no influence in the game can you imagine Colm says Roy Keane played well what are the chances there you go so it is incredible watching those games I only saw about five minutes of it Uh, the difference between it turns out full on elite Premier League footballers and guys who are even the guys who are retired a couple of years just how slow they are obviously who am I to talk well I mean they have no hips or knees anymore it's yeah, God, it's sad. It turns out you need your body to be able to do this. Because I, I was actually just thinking about this. You're looking at um, uh, so Thierry Henry's record. <clears throat> Olivier Giroud is about to break his record. I don't know if he, if he did or not. <clears throat> Sorry about that. And uh, I was like, well, Thierry Henry still looks like he could play football. Why, why do these players stop at the age they stop? And then you're like, and then you see them and um, because they can't do it anymore. The body is broken. Yeah. Right, so this is how this works. Uh, every Sunday evening on Instagram, we ask you to put something in red, in amber, in green. Red is bad. Amber is like a bit stuck. Green is go, 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 go. It's the Gillette Labs performance rankings. And we have a Gillette Labs starter pack up for grabs every week. Now, Nathan. All right. So we'll start in the red. Uh, we'll start with the Republic of Ireland. Oh, I'm surprised you haven't got them in the green, you Kenny lover, you. Well, you're getting off the bandwagon now after one bad result. What's wrong with you? Uh, well, they were beaten. So you, you win, you go in the green, you lose, you go in the red. And generally, if you're Ireland, you probably end up in the orange uh, the vast majority of the time. Uh, so, Do we like the orange shirts? Oh, I'm never that keen on the orange shirts. What's, that what's better? The black jersey? I like black, yeah. I like black. I love the blue. I thought the blue was no, The blue was beautiful, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, we can get the blue back for big occasions. All in. Um, yeah, I, again, I don't think this was a... A performance that anybody should go crazy for. Either way, I thought it was you know very well organized. I think he picked the right team, uh, played very well in the first half. Like it's not maybe what people had thought they might get 
at the start of the Kenny regime, you know, some sort of Barcelona-esque tiki-taka football. Uh, you know, they looked for the Scottish weaknesses. They obviously saw that their fullbacks were going to push high up the pitch, uh, played a lot of balls down the wings, the centre half stepped forward a lot, and really got at Scotland. Like, played really strong counter-attacking football and got the reward with the goal and you just hope they'd kick on in the second half like the game against Ukraine they concede early in the second half but even after that like, Troy Parrott scores a goal Ireland are in the green and Troy Parrott's got to score the goal like you have to take those chances and I was making the point on Saturday night after the game that like there are things out of Stephen Kenny's control so Matt Doherty like, is it a little bit of Matt Sharpness that he that he puts in such a weak effort he's without question I think Ireland's best player but he isn't playing any football so is he just that slight bit off it in his reaction times and if he's playing all the time for Tottenham does he does he block that cross does he make a better attempt and likewise Troy Parrott if he had a couple of goals this season is there a bit of confidence there that when he's clear through that he knows exactly what he's going to do but he doesn't and you know, Scotland were a stronger team, certainly in the last 15, 20 minutes. Uh, the substitutions, aside from Ogbené coming in, didn't seem to add a huge amount in those last 10, 15 minutes. But you know, I think a one-all draw would have been a, a very fair result. And again, a sign that Ireland, I think, are making progression. Obviously, a very young side, seven players starting under the age of 23. And not only that, if you look at it, like James McLean was the only player who started on Saturday night that had even 10 caps when Stephen Kenny took over. So like, this has been a revolution. It's been a necessary one because Ireland uh, were heading towards a cliff. Like, this, it's the one thing when the criticism comes in of Kenny and these sort of results and losing to Luxembourg and drawing with Azerbaijan, losing with Armenia. Like, Ireland have been heading towards this really since Euro 2016. Things that were unimaginable ones had started happening. You know, Losing four goals against Wales, been humiliated in the playoff. These things uh, used to happen to us, but it no. turns out... They're starting to happen with more regularity, but well, I think Denmark came to the, to Dublin and absolutely ripped us apart. Like when really bad uh, substitution decisions were made by Martin O'Neill, who was standing on the sideline, going, "You know, what's happening here?" But actually, in fairness, the O'Neill comments um, have been uh, interpreted as burying Kenny, but he actually did point out that Kenny played well. Kenny's team played well uh, against Scotland and against Ukraine, and we're we're trending in the right direction here, but. You know, it gets harder to make that case when you lose games. Yeah, it, it's almost impossible <laughs> to talk about a bigger picture when uh, people go results, results, results. And listen, even on that, you can go either way. Is it three defeats in 17 or is it two wins in 20? Which one do you want to look at? Stephen Kenny's obviously going to point towards the three defeats in 17. Uh, and they are getting better. And these players have now have a lot of game time uh, under their belt. And... You know, it feels as though it's a sort of established team right now, as much as you can have in international football. I don't think there should be any great changes for uh, tomorrow night against Armenia. Maybe Ogbené comes in. But that's the next big challenge. Ireland, as of yet, aside from the friendly against Qatar, at home against lesser opposition, haven't gone and dominated teams. Haven't gone and scored a few goals. Uh, had a lot of possession. Scotland. A lot of chances. You know, well. Yeah. And that, that's the thing. It's like um, we, we, we played really well against the Scotland team. Granted, they were in the immediate aftermath of being knocked out of the World Cup. And so um, you, take, you, you definitely have to take the context around that. Some comments, right? Paul Brown says, Our substitutions were really poor. They offered very little. Terrible defending by Doherty and Brown. Scotland really relaxed after Obafemi and Parrott went off poor from our senior players. James McCullough says, Morning. I'm very excited about this team. The youthful aspect have shown grit. We play great football. We'll have rested players after the World Cup to hit the qualifiers running in March. Euro 2024 champs. Um, the 
I, I think a couple of things are fairly obvious is that those players who aren't playing club football, we will benefit from them getting some club football. Like, we, we need Doherty to play some football. We need Coleman to play some football. Um, we, we need Troy Parr to start scoring some goals and having a bit of confidence at club level. Like, the, the difference between Jason Malumbi now and Jason Malumbi when he wasn't playing football is really stark. Granted, he's a young player and he's evolving and he's getting better. And But it's so different to watch somebody who's not fully confident about what they're doing week in, week out than being catapulted to the, the national side. And I think it would definitely benefit us from having more players play. You can see the difference. Nathan Collins is playing all the time. Darrell Shea is playing all the time. It's great for us that we just need everybody playing football at whatever level. It doesn't really matter what level they're playing at. Obviously, it would be better the higher, but... Um, like. I, I do think there's a good chance Matt Hardy gets back in the Spurs team at some point over the season. Oh, I, I don't know. Or maybe he just leaves in, in January and uh, goes to another Premier League club and starts getting football. He definitely needs football. Like he, looked, he looked like the class act in that Ireland team. When he got the ball, he had such nice, intricate touches out in the right wing. He was able to open things up in a way that nobody else was. But you have to assume that the defending for the goal was because he was just shattered at that stage. Now, he didn't want to come off when he was being taken off. He wasn't particularly happy about it. I think he, there was maybe a bit of miscommunication. He thought it was because of the injury he just picked up, whereas Coleman had already been togged and ready to come on. Uh, Coleman should get some football now. Nathan Patterson looks like picked up a bad injury for Scotland last week, so Coleman should be back in uh, right back. But these are the issues that all international managers are going to face. It's out of Stephen Kenny's hands as to what happens between uh, now and next March in terms of club football. Maybe some of those who are playing now drop out of sides. Uh, but you want a bit of depth where players can come in who are fit and well, informed. Like, if Obafemi got the move, <clears throat> he, he would have been playing a lot of football. You know, I thought Obafemi played really well. I, I, it's, it's, it's hard, with the exception of Doherty's mistake, to pick too many Irish players who, who didn't have a good game. Like Obafemi and Parrot. Parrot's work rate is touches in the first half. The chance is going to overshadow everything. But Parrot, by and large, had a decent game. Obafemi looked a real threat, particularly with the type of game Ireland were trying to play on the counter-attack. Like it was a sensational ball for Parrot for that opportunity. He, the, the one in the first half, he did look a little bit indecisive. And maybe his touch at times is a, is a tad heavy. Uh, Ogbené came on and was brilliant when he came on. Like Not all... All the substitutions didn't work. Like Ogbené definitely uh, came on and made a, a big impact, uh, particularly with that run down the right-hand side. I don't know if he didn't actually see a replay of the one the keeper kicked off, whether he could have reacted a, a little bit quicker and how big a chance. I don't know. I mean, it, was yeah. It, like it, I think it's one of those. If, if it goes in, it's a bit fluky. Like to to be able to react at all to get it. Um, I hadn't realised until was it you said it that uh, McGregor had been up all night with the, the new baby. So maybe we. Greg Gordon, yeah, Greg Gordon. Sorry. Um, so maybe we should have taken a bit more advantage of that. I don't know. Yeah, it's listen, was a game as these Nations League games are between two teams that are you know not uh, a million miles away from each other. You know, Scotland do have players at a at a higher level. Like there's no getting away from that. I think as as much as we talk up these Irish players, like it is still just Gavin Bazunu and Nathan Collins who are playing in the Premier League every week. You know, Scotland had Kieran Tierney. for a fleeting moment uh, in at left back before he got injured yet again, uh, you know, playing for Arsenal, Scott McTominay obviously playing for Manchester United, John McGinn. Yeah, I know Villa fans look at John McGinn this season and say maybe he's not on it, but he's still he playing. Was he was on it for Scotland. He was doing yeah. all the things that Villa fans would have seen from him all the way back to the Championship. And he, that, like if Villa had that McGinn week in week out, they'd be pretty happy at the moment. Um, I see somebody in the comments saying there's a good chance that we're going to get relegated to uh, 
to the uh, League C, it's just not good enough. There isn't really a good chance that we're going to get relegated. I mean, we have to lose the game. No, if they lose tomorrow night, they, they, obviously they will be relegated and there will be insane pressure on Stephen Kenny. But I, I would say, understandably so, if you lose at home to Armenia, uh, there's always going to be massive question marks. And listen, Ireland are in a difficult position for Euro qualifying now because they're going to be third seeds. Uh, we see that France and England are among the second seeds. You might have Turkey among the fourth seeds. You could end up with a incredibly difficult draw and their ranking in the Nations League at the moment doesn't mean it's an absolute guarantee that you're going to get that backup of a playoff so it, it's not a straightforward thing there's no guarantees that you know this is going to be a success in Ireland are going to qualify and uh, this bringing through of all these young players uh, would have been worthwhile but I don't think there was there was a choice yeah like we we were heading towards that cliff edge of t- footballing talent like there was five or six years where with the exception of Alan Brown basically nobody came through so what was the alternative? I know Damien Delaney was making the point that, you know, we can say he's playing young players, but he had other options. You know, he could have played Jeff Hendrick instead of Jason Lumby, but he has played Jeff Hendrick. Like Jason, Jeff Hendrick dropped out after the defeat at home against Ukraine, having played pretty much every game. Like Shane Duffy's not playing club football. Uh, there's not what like, like that question of trying to think of it yesterday. Well, the like, what would be the team if Mick McCarthy was still there? You're lumping the ball forward to like Shane Duffy going up for the last ten minutes, trying to get on a header, and we were probably playing Will Keane and Scott Hogan up front. Like, there's a good chance that's maybe the front two if, if Mick McCarthy's there. Yeah. I mean, no, nobody wants that. It's funny how uh, look. We don't need, do we need to go back and relitigate what Mick McCarthy presided over, like. Well, no, we don't, but I do think we need to just remember again, I think, that things were edging in this direction, that it was a struggle against Gibraltar. I how bad we were at Parkhead, like when Martin O'Neill was there Mm. and Sean Maloney scored the winner. Now, that team still managed to turn it around from that point, but nobody was going to Ireland games vaguely excited to watch what we were about to see. You were going with this dread of like, well, I really hope we get a flick on from a corner and maybe we can get a set piece and... If Robbie Brady's delivery is at it tonight, then we have a chance. But there was nothing else. There was literally nothing else to recommend us. Is that for us to discuss? Like, the emotional side of it? Of wanting to go and yeah, be entertained? That is for us to discuss. By Ireland. That like, is. Because should we be just looking at performance and results? No, I think that, like, I, I think that this is the national team. And it has to go beyond... Like, it, it's supposed to be a representation of who we are, right? Like, it's supposed to be... This is this is like the best that our football has to offer. And the best that our football had to offer for a long time was boring. And like, we were literally in it for the crack to see if the fans could go and, you know, sing and get some attention on the global stage for being the best fans in the world, self-appointed. And that wasn't really helping football in Ireland at any level. And so, I don't know, I think it's important that they stick with this for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, and I think... People do want to be entertained. Like I say, the, the reading what's in the papers today is in just such stark contrast to what was being felt outside the stadium, it feels, on, on Saturday night, where Irish fans had travelled to Scotland and bloody enjoyed what they'd seen. And generally, it seems when they're going to the Viva, they're enjoying what they're watching. Now, yes, you can throw back, keep throwing back the results. Understandably, the results have to get better. And they are starting to get a little bit better. Like they can't keep having the issues they're having against the likes of Armenia. But having sat through the Trapatoni era, and, and, and maybe there's a bit of a disconnect between you know, some of the pundits and what happened in that sort of lost decade in terms of just how bad it was, just how many people were turned off Irish football because 
of the crap they were being served up under Trapattoni, and then even a lot of it under Martin O'Neill. There were obviously some good performances in there, but generally, even then, we're sort of backs against the wall. We managed to nab a goal here and there. Like it, it doesn't take away from the brilliance of the victory at the time. And then, likewise, under McCarthy, like, like that's the biggest revisionism that somehow that last campaign, like oof. You know, Ireland, Ireland produced some... Like, they didn't. It was absolutely dire stuff to watch. Week and in, week out. the results weren't yeah. much better. So, listen, I think they're playing a good, attractive style of football that people want to get behind. You know, Stephen Kenny's not the only manager in the world who can get a team playing that style of football. I think that's a good point. It's not Stephen Kenny or Sam Allardyce or well, Sean Dyche. OK, you're right. However, there's always a massive overcorrection when something like this happens. There's always, like, in, in all walks of football, there's, like, we tried that, it didn't work, so we have to go back the other way. And the, the whole thing shifts over to finding a manager who is, like, almost exclusively results-oriented. Like, I know the argument comes, oh, who's even suggesting Sam Allardyce? But actually, like, uh, give us the list of alternatives that the FAI are going to consider here, that the FAI board are going to consider here, right? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, see, them, I don't see them going for another progressive manager with ideas about how football should be played and how there should be a connection between the national team and all the other football that's played in the country. That's, that's unlikely to happen. I'm very sceptical about them finding a new manager or a replacement who's interested in playing good football as opposed to, well, I'm just here to get results. So, like, I don't know, do they, do they put a Chris Hutton figure in? I don't know. Um, he's obviously not available at the moment anyway, uh, but he would be probably... No, but that's... Look, after I don't think Cup, anyone so. wants that. Um, you, you know, Brighton are the prime example of a transformation where Chris Hutton did a very good job at Brighton, but they wanted more. Yeah. They wanted more. They wanted to be entertained, and Graham Potter brought them that. Uh, I enjoyed the game. I thought the performance was positive overall. Pity we didn't hang on for a result, but I do see good team spirit. Nathan Collins is really excellent, says Michael. And Damien just casually says, would a United Ireland team perform better on the world stage? I'm English, just asking. Ah, Damien. And a nice 7.52 this morning, and uh, we're going to dedicate the rest of the week to answering that question for you. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Ireland are in the red. I don't know. I think you can make the case they're actually in the amber, but uh, I don't pick these. You do. Who's next? Uh, Munster are in the red. Uh, I don't think too many people will question that. So, uh, beaten 23-17 by Dragons at Rodney Parade. Dragons' first home win in 17 months and their first win over Munster for seven years. And to really rub salt in, JJ Hanrahan scored 18 points for Dragons. And missed two kicks at the end, which would have made it a really easy win for them. So does, 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 does that uh, make Munster feel a bit happy? How oh, we made the right decision there. These like, moments. These are the moments. I don't know. We don't want to throw JJ in the red here. He, you know, he's on a winning team. Uh, but two defeats in a row to start the season. Graham, Roundtree, but all accounts really go to town on his players uh, for the performance, how completely unacceptable it was. Uh, it, I know it was brought up last week about you know the sort of weeks, holidays they seem to be given before the start of the season. It does just look like they're, they're off it. It doesn't look like they're ready for the start of the new season. I know they're trying to implement a slightly new game plan, and you know Andy Dunn was on Wednesday Night Rugby, really interested in like, These things just take time to bed in. I accept that. I do accept that. And uh, I actually missed the bit where they were good. They scored all their points in a five-minute window. I, I missed that part. I only saw the second half. But in the second half, there was like three forward passes where they just like... like I mean... It's not a good sign when the good is condensed into a five-minute spell. And if you just... Uh, 
nip out to the jacket you've missed the entire thing and the other thing is that um, you know it's 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 only the URC right we, we understand that um, this competition at this stage of the season doesn't actually have that much meaning but you can't say that it was their B team or whatever it was like <clears throat> very very recognisable like a lot of their best players playing at this stage. Well, also, I, I think that was almost the attitude of times last season. That's the URC, it doesn't matter. And then you end up in the knockout stages and you find yourself with an away game in the knockout stages because you were sloppy at the start of the season. Now, they're home against Zebra in Cork and I think it's Friday night. You, know, you would expect that that's a game, you know, Munster win uh, with relative ease. And, you know, you could point and look back on the Joe Schmidt era at Leinster and say it started quite slowly and eventually they it did. They, they got it all together uh, but you know, Graham Roundtree himself uh, was saying you know, he was one of the reasons for his appointment was continuity <laughs> maybe some Munster fans didn't want a continuity from the Johan van Graan era but yeah they, they, they look a mile away from where they should be at this stage of the season they've obviously lost a lot of players now to the uh, emerging Ireland squad as well who are going to miss the next two three weeks so you just, from Graham Rowntree's point of view, as I said, that stink that's sort of hanging over Munster from the last six months of Van Graan's time, uh, that needs to lift. Particularly, it's going to come around quickly at the start of a, a Champions Cup. And I don't think there was, there was a great amount of positivity around Munster to start with. I think uh, the new coaching ticket does obviously deserve time, so we shouldn't overreact to this. And we'll have Alan Quinn with us a little bit later on. Like, <clears throat> it's a new season. It's a very long season because this is the start of the World Cup season. So, like, we don't need Peter Mahoney and Tyke Byrne and a lot of players to be brilliant at the moment. We need them to be grand and we need them to find form in the three or four weeks before the World Cup next September. Like, that's really what we need. That's what this... This next well, tell that to the Munster season ticket holders who just spent all that cash and now you're saying, ah, what we need here now is Peter Mahoney well, to just well, got, cruise like, through a few games for the next year. Like, isn't that the biggest problem with the URC? It is. Everyone, does it matter? It's the oh, truth, Oh, well, though. it's all about the Champions Cup. Oh, it's all about Six Nations. Oh, it's all about the World Cup. Like, these are essentially just glorified friendlies that they're charging you full whack for. Like, what's the point of this competition? It's a... Uh fundamental question that we come back to repeatedly but well the South Africans are taking it seriously with all their B teams uh, all winning at the weekend so uh, it is going to be us watching the South Africans uh, carry cups away for the next 20 years of our lives it's exciting isn't it we, uh, we could have put Bundiaki in there as well sent off yet again for Connacht and uh, having a right go at the referee when he was sent off but we can discuss that with Quinny um, I, I, I like <clears throat> I don't pay that much attention to Dragons I have to say I hadn't realised that uh, the whole Dean Ryan thing had kicked off in the last just the last week um, so he was obviously uh, in charge last season and was in charge for the first game of this season and it severely criticised the players who got absolutely hammered 44-6 at Edinburgh and then wasn't around and then all of a sudden they come out and they beat Munster so it's not like it's not like this is a Leinster team or one of the good South African teams who you've gone to and you've like, you know, you've put it up to them. It's like, this is the worst team in the league. Hadn't won a game at home in nearly 18 months. Yeah, it's not a good sign. It's really not a good sign. So if you're a Munster fan, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. As I said, Queenie's got to be along a little bit later on to um, give us his instinct about what's happening and how, how worried uh, you should be at the moment uh, Leona Maguire is so close but uh, so far away at the Irish Open yeah oh uh, it looked for a while yesterday back nine as though Leona Maguire was going to go and produce this remarkable comeback having started the weekend 10 shots back and maybe go and win uh, the 
Ladies Irish Open down at Tremolan Castle. She ended up finishing on 30 <coughs> under par, a shot outside the playoff uh, weekends of 65 and 68. That was after a huge disappointing Friday. I think she was devastated on Friday evening around a 75, having started the tournament so well. Uh, but she sort of stuck at it. She was the class act in the field. Like She was by far and away uh, the best player in the field. And even with that 65, like she had, what was it, one, two, three, four, five birdies on the back of the line yesterday. I'd say she's still very disappointed just, because... We're just having a bit of trouble with your uh, microphone there. Um, so we might get you a new one. And um, uh, we'll... We, you did a talking jerk. Yeah, I can, oh, there you go. Uh, it's 7.58 this morning. Uh, so um, this is the bit where I was going to ask Nathan what the course was playing like, you know, and whether or not Tremoland was uh, a difficult place to navigate your way around. But... Um, the listeners are never going to get to, to find that out. 0879 is the WhatsApp number if you want to get in touch with us. A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. So far in their head, we've had uh, the Republic of Ireland and Munster in the green, Irish Rowing and Eric Donovan. Uh, so we're going to talk about those in just a second. And uh, Leona is in the orange after nearly winning the KPMG Irish Open. Um, right, I think... Uh, no, you're not back yet. A reminder, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner at OTB. I'm Braeburn. just uh, delaying this as much as possible. Every week, we give one lucky viewer a €100 euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn coffee goodness at an apple green store near you. To enter, check out Add Off The Ball. Just make sure it's on Twitter. Like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you'll be in the draw. Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. It's available at Apple Green today. Uh, the great thing about playing in the Pro-Am was that you did get to play it like the pros because you could use their drive. So you were hitting your approach from the same spot where they would be hitting their approach. Uh, the back nine is set up brilliantly for tournament golf because there's two par, three, two par fives in the final three holes and there's also a drivable par four. So Laura Beveridge, uh, who we played with in the Pro-Am, ended up playing the final four holes in five under par. Uh, finishing just a couple of shots back. So that was there for Leona Maguire. There was so many birdie opportunities. And the one I'd say that got away was 15, which is a drivable par four. Uh, there was more birdies than pars on it during the week. And she ended up powering it yesterday. Uh, she had a chance to chip in on 18 for Eagle. And it just rolled on by. You know, Both of those opportunities to get yourself into a playoff. And as I say, she was by far and away uh, the class act in the field. But you know, she turned up. It was very much out of her calendar and her schedule. She was over in Seattle playing last week uh, she made the decision to come back to support the event because it's been a decade since there's been the Women's Irish Open uh, and she was the big draw uh, there was great crowds down there yesterday it was a bit strange watching it because the final few groups there wasn't big crowds around them because everybody everybody was following Leona Maguire who teed off about an hour before uh, the leader so she gave everybody a good run for their money uh, Clara Spilkova of the Czech Republic eventually won out it was a three way playoff and uh, Spilkova was the winner all right Irish rowing in the green? Uh, yes, yet again, Irish rowing uh, in the green. Four medals at the World Championships, uh, two of them gold. Uh, yesterday, Sunita Perspore and Zoe Hyde uh, completed a really good World Championships for Ireland. They won bronze in the women's double skulls. Obviously, Sunita Perspore is a two-time former gold medalist. I think everyone sort of expected she might retire after the Olympics. It was a really disappointing Olympics. She's 40 now. Sort of said she just hadn't made a decision, so she kept training. And it was put in her mind, well, why don't you hop in a boat with Zoe and see how you get on? And uh, they'd rock up at a World Championships and end up with a bronze medal. Uh, that followed the, the usual, the usual from Paula Donovan and McCarthy. Just another gold medal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just the usual, it turned out. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say expectations are high, but it's, you know, it'd be the 
greatest disappointment in Irish sport if they don't win gold at this stage. Ooh. Ooh. It was just like they're, they're at that level of greatness right now that we assume every time we take it for granted. Uh, how good they are. Yeah, we probably shouldn't be taking stuff for granted, though, given like we're a small country, you know, which this hasn't happened before, so we shouldn't take it for granted. And uh, look, the the achievement is the thing. Like, the scale of the achievement and the consistency of the achievement is the thing. The post-race interview is um, coming in for some criticism here from Colin Sheridan in the back of the examiner. He says, the bit is getting old. Um, it, I don't know, was there a beef? Was there a beef with Gillick? Is there something going on that we don't know? Or is it just like, he's... He's very tired in the immediate aftermath of like winning something and hasn't quite got his thoughts around to, I need to think about what I'm going to say here. Yeah, there is that possibility. <laughs> They've just been through uh, an absolutely gruelling race and we're expecting him to be totally coherent. Uh, can you beef with David Gillick? You can't beef with David no, Gillick. No, I don't think so either. Okay, so uh, what else is in the green? I've got to mention Katie O'Brien, uh, gold for Katie O'Brien as well, and Aoife Casey and Margaret Kremen uh, won a bronze. And also in the green, Eric Donovan. So this was uh, Saturday night. I was uh, trying to follow it uh, on my phone in Glasgow. Eric Donovan, uh, European Union Super Featherweight Champion. Uh, 37 now, Belfast Europa Hotel. Uh, beats Khalil El Hadri. Uh, trying to watch back the highlights and looking at the photos. It looked like it was an absolute war. Yeah, the 10th round. If you haven't, if you, if you haven't watched this, I'm sure it's on the TG Car Player. But the 10th um, the round is like an all-time classic Irish boxing round where they just literally put their heads together and start banging away. And um, for him to survive that and to come through with the victory, like a lot of controversy in terms of the decision afterwards from his opponent and his opponent's team saying that they thought they'd won the fight. A lot of um, people thought that it could have gone either way, that uh, Eric Donovan was landing the higher number of punches, but his opponent, as Eric said, hit like a mule and was definitely doing the more damage. So if you see Eric's face afterwards, uh, it's much more cut up than his opponent. But like, what the judges are looking for isn't how hard you're hitting. They're looking for a clean number of punches and uh, who's the aggressor in the fight. So look, you know, uh, he pays you money, he takes your choice with that stuff. Um, for him at this stage of his career, Michael Conlon afterwards was, uh, was on TG Car and he was saying, you know, there's there's plenty of opportunity for him out there if he wants it but actually maybe now might be the time to ride off into the sunset Eric talked about this being redemption in another interview that I saw with uh, with one of the websites and I always felt like even if he didn't make it to the level of winning the title the redemption has come from the fact that everybody who ever meets him or watches him comes away feeling more positive about themselves and with like intense loyalty towards him because he's such a good person and his comeback story is truly remarkable and I think it deserves a much wider audience and I hope it finds that wide audience over the next while because if, if you know, if this was, if Irish sport was functioning properly, we'd be giving Eric a role in Irish sport that was important and valued and, um, you know, like he, he goes around schools telling his story to schools but there should be some formal recognition of that I think, like the Kildare Sports Partnership or the Loud Sports Partnership could do worse than having him embedded there and uh, Sport Ireland could do worse than co-opting him onto some boards and just getting his story out there because it is an incredible recovery from the situation he found himself in after he left amateur boxing to the point where he is now where he can stand and tell his story and explain to people the difficulties that he's had in his life away from the ring and then to come out the other side of it so I hope he retires though I hope that now this is it that at 37 he's climbed his Everest and he's looked around and gone well that was pretty good because it's a very special end 
and even if there is a homecoming fight in Kildare like you know every single fight from this point forward is probably the law of diminishing returns and he deserves his retirement he deserves to go out on this high so um, yeah go back and watch that 10th round like absolute warrior stuff and for him to come through that is sensational so I wish him all the best alright he's a legend by the way he's like he's just my ma taught him in school and you know he talked afterwards like in the immediate aftermath of going those 12 rounds he just leans in and starts listing off all the people in his life so Don Orkins and Michael's Boxing Club 30 years ago he walked in as a 7 year old and how it changed his life and you could see that there were people there in in the uh, in the Europa Hotel who had been part of that journey the whole time and he's like he is of all of the people in Irish sport who you meet, you go, oh, he's, he's a nice guy. I've never met anybody ever to say anything other than he's, he's not just a nice guy, he's a lovely person. Like, he's a really good human being. So, um, I can't recommend him enough. Yeah, and his wife Laura's there, I think eight and a half months pregnant, so I uh, suspect that might come into his thinking as well as to what happens next. Yeah, a busy time, a busy time. So, um, you know, that might be an excuse to go out running instead of uh, changing nappies. But don't do it, Eric. Change the nappies and... Uh, and lean in. Uh, we could have had three in green, of course. We could have had Zach Tuhi and Mark O'Connor in there as well on the AFL Grand Final. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I think it was one way traffic. I, I, mm. I'd be bluffing if I said any more about um, the game, but uh, the post celebrations have been um, have been lit. Oh yeah, I haven't been following. Have they been all over TikTok? Uh, well, just the, the like he had the come on the town. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, that that did raise an interesting uh, question. A lot of people are wondering: is like, is Port Leash now the town, more uh, so than Dundalk? Well, I think everybody thinks they're the town. I think Dundalk was just assumed to be the town. Uh, Port Leash just steal that from them. Well, uh, I mean, uh, the Thai footballers was that they were the town. Okay. That's that's how it works. That's how it I works. think. But for national recognition, nationally, Dundalk was the town. Uh, right, your your microphone's gone again there, Nathan, so I don't know what the issue is. It's um, There are some gremlins in the system. It's seven minutes past eight this morning. Uh, right, that was this week's Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. Right, pay attention to this. All this week, we have a fantastic opportunity to combine sports and leisure with a visit to Los Angeles on America's West Coast. You and two friends could be jetting out with multi-award winning Cassidy Travel on direct flights from Dublin with Aer Lingus on the 1st of December to spend four nights in the four-star hotel The Wayfarer in downtown LA to take in the LA Rams versus the Seattle Seahawks. To be in the hat for this great prize, follow at Cassidy Travel on Twitter and retweet our competition post. It's all thanks to Cassidy Travel, your one-stop sports travel shop, sports and travel, a perfect match. You can visit CassidyTravel.ie for more. After the break... We're live with the former Republic of Ireland manager Sue Ronan for more reaction to Ireland's defeat to Scotland. Stay tuned. Well, Jason, did you feel you deserved more out of that game? Yeah, I think I think it was harsh. I think it was harsh on the lads put a, a big, big effort in tonight in front of a good crowd. Um, Irish fans came over as well. So, look, we, we had the chances definitely to maybe draw or even get the winner at the end. Um, but like I say, over there, fine, fine margins went against us and, and that's something we need to look back on. A lot of the games you played were in COVID times and empty stadiums or half empty stadiums. Have you ever played in an atmosphere like that before? Yeah, look, we played the Aviva back home. That's a that's a very hostile place for people to come as well and, and that's something we're looking forward to getting back to on Tuesday night. Um, a big bumper crowd at home is uh, going to be vital for us in a, in a big game. There did seem to be quite a bit of an edge to the game. How physical was it in midfield? 
Yeah, it was a physical game. It was it was end to end at times, but that's something I I quite enjoy. Um, I thought we done well, especially first half. I think the game started nearly bypassed the midfield. They caught it went around the outsides and a lot of crosses in the game. Um, but no, I, I think I think we dealt well in midfield. We we held around and, and you know what, like I say, fine margins go against us, and, that, and that's something we can we can improve. A lot of talk about your position at club level and comparing it with uh, what's going on at international level. You slightly different role tonight, maybe a little bit deeper than some of your last few games for Ireland. Yeah, maybe. I think in the setup we wanted to build and play out from the back, and I think we done that really well, especially first half. Um, but now when I when I try and get forward and, and support the front two, that's something as well I want to want to keep doing. And uh, it was a physical game. It was it was end to end, like I say. But um, we go again. There were, I think, seven players, 23 and under, who started tonight. Yes, you're getting a lot of caps very quickly. There have been a lot of performances like this away from home, Portugal, Serbia, uh, even going back to Slovakia, and they haven't been getting the victories. How frustrating is it that you're just not able to get over the line in these sort of games yet? It is frustrating, but um, like you say, there's a lot of younger lads come through, and, and consistency is a hard thing to find, especially at international level. But I think there's, there's definitely been progression. Like you say, in the summer we we done we finished the camp or well, finished the the camp pretty well. Obviously tonight didn't go the result wise or the way we wanted, but I think in large parts of the performance there was positives to take. And finally, you don't have much time to turn this around. Tuesday, is that the next step of the progression at home against a team that people would expect Ireland to beat to go and take that opportunity? Yeah, it's an it's an important game for us. We need to go there and, and insert our dominance and, and win the game, and and that's what the end end game is. We need to win the game, and especially at home. It's important we keep getting results at home because that's a it's a fortress. Thanks, Jason. OTB AM. Right, twelve minutes past eight. I'm delighted to say Sue Ronan is with us to look back on the Republic of Ireland's defeat at Hamden Park. Sue, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, guys. How are we keeping? Uh, good. Uh, mixed re- mixed assessment from the supporters that we we have uh, making contact with us this morning. What was your assessment of how Ireland played against Scotland? You know, I mean, I really enjoyed the game. I have to say uh, it, it was a great match between two teams that really went at each other, especially at the beginning. And, and that's something the fans love to see. Um, it had a real local derby taste about it. I think Scotland came into the game desperate to win. Um, they they really wanted to put that result uh, in Dublin or that defeat to us in Dublin um, from earlier in the summer. They wanted to put that to bed. So there was definitely an element of revenge there, despite um, Clark Steve Clark playing that down. Um, they were also on a high, I think, having beaten Ukraine midweek, you know, so it made for a tasty game. And that's exactly what we got. It started fast and furious. It was energetic. It was feisty. Um it was on the edge at times. There was tackles flying in. Um, but I think when it settled, uh, we were very, very comfortable. Um, I, I really thought we were excellent in the first half. We were comfortable on the ball. I thought we controlled the game. Uh, we were composed under pressure. Scotland press was very high. We were able to play out against that press. Um, we showed lots of energy all over the park. We had options on the ball. And we were composed, as I said, defensively. And, and like we didn't give the Scots a chance to settle. Um, we, we got after them as well. We pressed them high and, you know, the, 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 the front two got after them and, and they were backed up really, really well by the midfield three. Um, and I thought they did their job really, really well. You know, it was a big test, I guess, for, for Cullen and, and, and Knight and Malumbi because they were up against some very experienced Premier League players in the Scottish team. I thought we did really well. You know, they were they tirelessly backed up the attack and then did their defensive duties as well, got in the blocks, etc. Um, 
I thought our wing backs caused us some problems, particularly Doherty going forward. I thought he was excellent. Three centre halves are really, really good. Coach with Dykes really well in the air. Anything that was thrown at them. Nathan Collins was taking the ball out of defence. So, you know, overall, it was a really, really good first half. Yeah, unfortunately, in the second half, obviously, uh, we stepped off a little bit. Um, like, do you see much of an evolution in terms of how we're trying to approach these games from the start of the Kenny era? Because, again, one of the, the uh, charges coming in from some of the supporters are, oh, it's the same old situation. We haven't improved uh, from the start. He's still not getting results. What's going on? Has there been much of an evolution in the style under Stephen Kenny so far? I think there has. You know, I think it's obvious there to see. Um, I mean, I think we were a better team than Scotland. You know, we, we at least deserved a draw on the night, I think. Um, okay, it didn't go well in the second half, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in more detail. But I, I've definitely seen, you know, an evolution in this team. I'm encouraged by them. The last three performances have been very good. Um, we are still a young team. I know, you know, some of the players have been around a while now, but they're still very young and they're maturing under Kenny, I think. Um, I think they're growing. But they do need to start backing that up with results because at the end of the day, it is a results-based business. Um, I think we need to start eliminating uh, these defeats and matches that we do dominate um, or against teams that we should be beating, the likes of Armenia away, the likes of Luxembourg at home. Um, because, you know, when, you, when you're losing games, obviously that's going to sap the confidence. Um, but I think the team is grown and we're only going to get better. I think the future does look bright. But of course, at the end of the day, we do want to win matches as well. And that's the key thing that will be put against Stephen Kenny constantly. Like the way you described that first half there, it's this great yeah. half for Irish football yeah. and they lose the game. So what yeah. happened in the second half that Scotland were able to regain control of the match? Yeah, and you know, I've been like like everybody else, I suppose, you're scratching your head, you know. I mean it wasn't really that it wasn't tactically that it went wrong, I don't think in my view. I think we started the half okay the first couple of minutes, but then conceding that sloppy goal within five minutes, I mean, that does knock a bit of confidence, I suppose. Players are probably thinking to themselves, Jesus, this is happening again now. So that that's not helpful. But I think we did react well, but it really was a sloppy goal to to concede. I mean, Doherty put in, you know, a half of an attempt to block a cross. Um Hendry had ghosted into the box. You know, I think Egan had him in his sights, but then sort of got drawn to the ball for a second, split second, and it's in the back of the net. Um, so, you know, that doesn't help. And we weren't, start, we, we did gather um, a little bit after that. We had a really great chance, I think, with um, Parrot. Uh, we caught him on a great counter attack, some great pace from Obafemi, and he really picked out a great ball to, to Parrot because in the first half, there was a similar situation. We probably didn't make best use of the ball, but Parrot really should have scored, and he probably knows it himself, but it seemed to get stuck under his legs. And maybe that's a sign he's not scoring so many goals. Like, club level he didn't have that confidence but if that goes in it's a different game again um you know but we, we were certainly in it but I, I think Scotland definitely got in our faces more in the second half and we didn't deal with that they started to win the midfield battles particularly um our midfield three were excellent in the first half maybe they struggled a little bit in the second half Cullen was on a booking maybe didn't help him um and I don't know maybe it's just that experienced players and getting in our faces and we weren't able to deal with it, you know, and, and it was a shame. And then, of course, giving away um, a silly penalty late on. 
I think for me, the all the substitutions together, um, I think Ogbena came on early enough, but the three substitutions in the 75th minute, I know you're going for broke at that point. You're looking to try and, you know, to, to get something out of the game. But I think that disrupted the, our rhythm a little bit and we weren't really the same after that. So what happened? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, really. We, we, we definitely have dropped our standards. Scotland raised theirs. The crowd got behind them. You know, they got in our faces more. We just weren't able to deal with it. And maybe that little bit of quality there to see out the games and the execution just wasn't there. That's something we do have to improve on going forward and we need to improve on it quick. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you do that? Well, you just keep going back to doing what you're doing, the training ground, I guess. And yeah, I mean, it's up to the coach to try and help the players through those difficult moments. Um, you know, I think, as I mentioned about the experience in the Scotland team, and it does, you know, it, it definitely helps in, in matches. You know, they've players playing at that higher level. They can bring off maybe similarly level players from the bench. We probably are a little bit shy maybe in certain areas on, from the bench. We weren't able to affect the game. Our subs weren't as much as we wanted. Um, but yeah, it's a tough one. Just keep doing what we're doing, I guess, and, and try to get over that, 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 uh, that pump. That's the problem for us. You know, we, we've taken the lead now, thinking, is it, that's the third game and we've lost it. So that's going to haunt the players, but they need to try and get over that and get through that and get the win and maybe, and, and realize that they actually can do it. Yeah. There's an awful lot of hard luck stories. Uh, there is. Like yeah. You go back to Portugal, how, brilliantly they played that night even the away game in Serbia Slovakia like their best performances have been against good opposition away from home yet there's, yeah. there's nothing to show, to show yeah. for it yeah. and maybe yeah. it is that bit of listen, Stephen Kenny said he'd never say they don't have the players so I don't think we should ever go to that but you know I asked yeah. Jason Knight about the occasion he said oh I played big games in the Aviva like, yeah. like the intensity of that game on Saturday night I'd say he hasn't experienced too often before yet for Scott McTominay that's, that's a run yeah. of the mill thing like he like it's a relief a release for him going up to play for Scotland from what he's been at at Manchester United and John McGinn as well really in the second half looked like a player playing yeah. at a different standard and those guys, McTominay and McGinn particularly, they relish occasions like that. They do it week in, week out. You know, they, as you say, McTominay, that's his game at United, getting in the faces of the opponent, you know, disrupting the rhythm, trying to put your opponent off. And McGinn is exactly the same at Villa. Um, and they're experts at doing it. And as much as our guys are saying maybe they're doing that week in, week out, they're not used to that type of intensity. I don't think they are anyway. Um, you know, and a lot of these guys started off their career during COVID times and played many games without fans, you know. So maybe they're only facing these type of occasions now. Um, but I think really when you're analysing overall, you've got to go back to the beginning of, of the campaign. And we got off on the wrong foot, losing away to Armenia. I mean, that was a disaster. Let's face it. That's a team we should be beating. And you saw Ukraine practically a reserve team beat them 5-0 um, the other day. And I think anything less than a good victory for us tomorrow night would be a disaster. But that sort of sets the tone then for the campaign. Um, you know, you're chasing your tail all along and then you're only getting four points from the top two teams. You know, that's not good enough. It's left as well off the pace. And, you you know, you're, you're starting to chase your tail the whole time. But it's getting on the right side of all those small margins that we need to do going forward, um, I think, to try to turn this around. Uh, Ireland have, in those games away from home, quite often been a, a counter-attacking team. Uh, tomorrow night at home against what we perceive to be weaker opposition. Like, do you, 
do you expect a different style of football? Like, does that midfield, presuming he sticks with Cullen, Malumbi, and Knight, do they have enough about them that they can control a game and dominate a game and have 65% possession and have that pass that'll open up an Armenian defence if they sit right back? You'd expect Armenia to sit right back um, and maybe try and hit us on the counter because, you know, they're on three points, we're on four. If, if we don't beat them tomorrow or get a draw, we could be the one going down. So so they, they have a chance of staying up as well in this group. Um, I think in the past it was probably, we might have said about Irish teams in general, we couldn't, we found it difficult to break opponents down. But I think this team has enough about them now to do that. Um, you know, I think Malumni's been super. He can pick out a pass from midfield. Um, we have our wing backs can cause problems. You know, we, we can, our, as I mentioned, our mid, our, our center halves can come into midfield and add an extra player. We've got real, real ability up front now. Um, so, you know, I, I think we, we, we definitely have enough to, to beat this team. It's going to be a different style, as you say, um, because they will sit back. And, and we might be patient at times and that's where we're going to need the crowd to get behind the players and they're going to have to dig deep within themselves as well and not let the the, the heads drop, you know, the confidence levels go, things are not going well or if, if they're not getting the early goal. Um, but, but you know, I, I can't see anything more than a, or anything less rather than a, a, a victory, you know, three or four goals tomorrow night and we badly need it. Uh, maybe it's not the midfield we need to be talking about as opening up the opposition. Maybe it's the defence. Like Nathan Collins. This guy's at a different level. Just say, strolling around, having them the last night, stepping forward, skipping through challenges, picking out passes. He's looking like a magnificent player. He really is. And you're right. He just strolls out midfield. He just glides by players and, you know, and picking out passes and then getting on the end of them or looking to get on the end of them in the box. He's been a real find this last, during this campaign. And I think he has a really good future ahead. And, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him as as time goes on because he's a really, really good player. The three centre halves are very good. They're very solid. Um, and I talked, the, mentioned the wing backs as well. You know, you know what you're going to get from McLean. He gives 200% every game, you know, and never lets Ireland down, in fairness. And on the other side, then you have that little bit of quality going forward from uh, Doherty. He's a little bit suspect or maybe more suspect defensively than he is going forward, but he hasn't played too many games either, in fairness. I don't think he's played any actually for Spurs this season. Um, hopefully he's fit to start tomorrow because he definitely adds something going forward, but, Look, we have ability all over the park now. It's about us trying to cut out those uh, those errors in the games or eliminate those defeats and matches that we should be winning. Um, and I think anything less than a, a comprehensive victory tomorrow won't really finish the campaign on a good note for us. No, <clears throat> no it's a fair point. You were talking about Malumbi, and I think it's fair to point out the change in Malumbi since he started to get game time. He's now playing under a manager who signed him and wants him, and it's really worked out for him. And we can see the knock-on impact of that. Now, that's not to say he didn't play well enough to get in the Ireland team before that, but uh, the value of players playing all the time for a team like Ireland, Yeah. can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Because it feels like the more players we have playing at whatever level, the better it is. Even Jason Knight, who is down one division below, at least where we think he should be playing, Yeah. the value of him playing week in, week out can't yeah. be overstated at this point. Yeah, no, you need to, players need to be playing. It's as simple as that, you know, and it's at every level. I mean, you even see with the women's national team, you know, Vera's going to pick the players that are playing. Um, and no matter how good a player is, if they're sitting on the bench and they're not playing week in, week out, you know, you're not going to be as sharp. You're not going to be as, uh, as you know, on top of your game. You're not going to be as match fit. Um, and I think that was the reason Stephen left um 
Shane Duffy out now, mind you, he, as he said himself, he contradicts himself a little bit with Doherty, but Doherty is very fit at the moment because Spurs are, are doing super, super additional training under Conti. But it's so important, especially for midfield players, you know, to be on top of the game and because that's the engine room and that's where you want to create, uh, you know, that's where your creativity most is going to come from. So those players need to be playing week in, week out. And you can see the difference in Maloney. He's always always been a, a super player. But now, as you say, he's playing at a team where he's getting game time, he's being valued and he's really shown his, his, his quality. And I thought he was excellent on Saturday. I really did. Um, before we let you go, I'd be remiss of us not to talk a bit about uh, Claire Shine, who has announced her decision to retire from football. She is only 27, but it's been um, uh, a jam-packed life that Claire Shine has, has uh, led, and her statement is very heartfelt. She talks about her happiness and well-being needs to come first, but she's excited to begin the next chapter of her life. I know you would have worked with Claire Shine at various stages across her career. Can you just talk to us a little bit about um, the shift that she's put in? Do you know what Claire is has is one of the most talented players, naturally talented players we ever had here. Um like she brought she she was part of that uh, team, Noel King's team that won the, the, the silver medal, the under seventeens in Europe back in the day in twenty ten and then went to the World Cup. She was one of the younger uh players, a couple of years younger than the Denise O'Sullivan's, Megan Campbell's, who were the, the main players at the time. So she didn't get a lot of game time, but that's you know how, how long she's been involved. Um before that even you you know, at club level, she just scored goals for fun at represented regional representative level here in tournaments that we had. She scored goals for fun. She always had the talent. She then was part of our under 19, uh, 19 team that got semi final in 2014 of the European Championships under Dave Connell. Again, scored a couple of vital goals against a big, couple of, of uh, big teams. Always a great goal scorer, a great finisher, a lovely kid. Um, yes, I had her in and around the squad uh, with myself. Um, I, I think I did cap her, actually. Then she she went to Scotland. I know she got a bad injury, I think, with the 19s when Katie just made, got through to the, the national team. Um, Claire was sort of next to come up, and I think she might have broke her leg or something and was injured, so missed out for a while. But what a talented player and, and yeah she she's had a lot going on in her life but look you know it, it was a heartfelt statement it was sad to see her finishing her career um but she's doing what she needs to do for herself and she's right and i'm sure she's got lots of great people around her and her family and friends and in the club i know glasgow city are great um i know the girls are that own that club and, and they really look after the players so you know i'm sure they're looking after her well and i think she's going to stay involved in the club i'm not sure to what capacity but a great great talent and she's done great things for Ireland at all the age levels over the years so i only wish her well in the future yeah, it, it is important that um, people who come forward and talk about their mental health are given the space to tell their story and that we uh, try and use that story coming out to understand the pressures that the next generation are coming through. Because, you know, for, for in many ways, women's full-time professional sport, uh, soccer in particular, is, is a new sport and it comes with new specific challenges that we haven't experienced before. So when someone like Claire comes forward and tells her story, we need to listen and we need to implicate the lessons of what she's saying into how we deal with the younger kids coming through now. Absolutely. And, you know, I read her book there when it came out uh, a few months ago and I'll be honest with you, brought tears to my eyes reading it and stuff. You know, she was so honest and the things she went through and like I and I'm sure many other people involved in the game here, apart from her close family and circle of friends, had no idea what she was going through. And when you think back, you know, that she was going through those things and, you know, we were around at the time we didn't know and, and she couldn't reach out for help or, or didn't feel she could. And it just made me sad, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, 
she's been so brave. She she's you know come forward. She's spoken. She spoke. She's spoken so well. And I've heard her speak on TV and the radio in her book. She was so honest, and it is very important because yes, girls are facing that more and more now. And you know maybe younger boys at that age are in professional clubs. They have maybe a better structure around them to deal with those type of pressures. Whereas our game is a younger game. It's not at that level yet. So girls like Claire and, and, and others, you know, that are facing issues like that, they do need support. And it's important that they speak out or it's important that we as coaches or people that they're playing with can try and help them as much as possible. But yes, it was great to hear her tell her story and hopefully it inspires other girls who are going through similar issues and boys, of course, to speak up and, and seek help uh, and the help is always there. Yeah, we wish you the very best in her retirement. Sue, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million. Cheers. Okay, Take care. Bye-bye. It's uh, Sue Ronan giving her thoughts on the Republic of Ireland and their defeat at the weekend. A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, Claire Shine's book's well worth a read. Uh, it's very difficult to read, but she was in the studio with me a couple of months ago for an interview, and as you say, for, what, 27, uh, has been through a hell of a lot. So it's very sad to see that she's retiring, but good to see that it seems the club are keeping her involved and, and giving her a role. Yeah, we wish her all the very best. Uh, Barry Parrott says, Kenny PRFM is on air. That's what the on air says. Mike is live. Kenny's not good enough. He is an LOI-level coach and not up to this level. T-O-O. Well, so what? He he was the most successful manager, one of the most successful managers in the League of Ireland history. Does that mean he always stays a League of Ireland manager? Like should Seamus Coleman have stayed at the League of Ireland? Should he stay, like, yeah. he's, he's he was a League of Ireland player. player. Stay there. He's yeah. a League of Ireland. Like that's that's Not your standard, Seamus. You know, don't go and play three hundred games in the Premier League. Stay at Sligo for the rest of your career. Uh, Il Postino eighty eight. I'll give you a good alternative. Wayne Rooney. He knows that level of player intimately and has a record of maximising potential. Wayne Rooney's not going to take the Ireland job. Is Wayne Rooney going to take the Ireland job? Why would you take the Ireland job? Wayne Rooney's going to have his pick of clubs. He's gone off to America, learning his trade over there. He comes back, he gets a decent championship job. I don't think Wayne Rooney's taking the Ireland job. I don't know. You know, um, what, it's 500 grand a year? Wayne Rooney's probably getting two and a half million a year somewhere in the championship, is he? Two million? Do you find a few more quid if Wayne Rooney's the manager? Well, I don't know, do you? Like, do you, is that what we start doing again? Going for the the managers and spending the money? Or does, like, the provision of grassroots facilities and coaches not come first in the hierarchy of, of needs for Irish football? Like, like if the FAI were to have that money, shouldn't they be investing it in uh, League of Ireland stadiums? Well, if they don't have that money, for starters, that's League the biggest up. problem. Jerry O'Malley says, three campaigns... Trend is lose versus worst teams in Europe. For example, Armenia, Luxembourg. Out of, con- out of contention after three games in all three campaigns. Fighting not to finish last. Kenny consistently bad at not winning matches. Now, without wanting to be uh, Kenny FM, uh, yes, Armenia, the, like they are in League B for a reason, so you're meant to have teams that are all of similar standard. Uh, like Luxembourg drew three all with Turkey on Friday night. Uh, Azerbaijan, who we drew with, they went to one away in Slovakia. So a lot of these countries are getting better. Uh, now, that's no, not to say no, Ireland, no, no, no. That's not say Ireland shouldn't still. be beating them, particularly at home tomorrow I remember night. we beat Turkey 5-0. That's what, Every time we play Turkey, we should beat them 5-0. Uh, but these countries are getting better. Ireland should still be winning these games. Like The defeat over in Armenia was, it was a disaster. an absolute yeah. uh, disaster. Uh, 
Why don't we produce Premier League players anymore? That's the nettle no one will grasp, says Danny Mac. This was the Go point on. when I said it in the office last Monday. I said, at some stage over the next 10 days, we'll be discussing what's gone wrong for the last 20 years in Irish football that we don't have the players anymore. And here we are. Uh, well, it turns out decades of underinvestment. Which are actually slowly being reversed. Slowly, the, the success level is, is good, not great. Uh, if you look at the, the quality of player who've come through... A lot of those have come through the Irish system and are going to England slightly later. And so Gavin Bazunu, that career path is the ideal career path that we should have from an Ireland perspective where a League of Ireland club gets money from uh, his transfers in, into the Premier League. That's like, that is a system, a pyramid where we have a role that's clearly defined that is something we can aspire to and hopefully even better. We are. And as seven players under 23 starting the last night is testament to that. And without going over old ground there is a lost generation remember Alan Brown pretty much the only player in the spell of six, seven years that came through the Irish system and as I always point out think about that think about going to watch the Ireland under 15 team for six years and saying only one of these guys is ever going to go on and make it you say that that's insane but clearly that's what happened which has left this massive gulf between the class of 92 of Hendrick Brady and this team of 23 and 22 year olds of players who should be at their absolute peak right now uh, Barry Power wrong Nathan he had a job outside of Ireland and got sacked and League of Ireland is one of the worst leagues in Europe that's like yes he did get sacked got to a cup final obviously as he was uh, talking about at Hampden Park uh, Jerry O'Malley says Nathan always putting down Hewton <laughs> I don't know they're coming out for you today Nathan uh, always putting down Hewton did brilliant jobs at Newcastle and Norwich playing quality football also at Brighton only in last year became more defensive Hewton is the best Irish manager of his generation um, of his generation so who else is in that I guess Mick McCarthy would obviously be in that I think maybe he's put together a better um, club CV than Mick McCarthy has uh, Kenny's doing really well with what he has you can't make a silk purse give him another campaign LOI level manager absolute crap says Bruce Robbo fan club there's no question he doesn't get another campaign like, unless somehow Armenia unless <laughs> Armenia you know uh, unless uh, tomorrow night is a new law for Irish football there's no way Stephen Kenny doesn't get the Euros campaign and he deserves the Euros campaign he deserves the opportunity uh, to go and qualify for tournament where half the teams qualify and if you don't make that I, I think you know Stephen Kenny himself would admit that like, the time is probably up now maybe there's uh, some heroic failure that sees Ireland not qualify and you do get drawn with Spain and England and you lose out to a dodgy handball in the last minute of the last qualifier and you know we all roll on to the next campaign there's been so much growth but like Ireland should qualify for a Euros. Ender says, if Kenny wasn't there, the young lads wouldn't have got a chance. Bazzuni and Collins would still be in the championship if they didn't get the exposure that Kenny gave them at international level. I do think that um, the the Bazzuni thing was definitely uh, catapulted forward by the quality of performances at international level. Like that definitely helped. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, in terms of his profile, his like, you keeper. save you, you save a penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo when he's looking for his one hundredth uh, international goal everybody's, or his record breaking international goal. Like, yeah. yeah, everybody's digging out the wise guy from that going, Let me see the rest of that performance and they're like, Oh, let's check another one and check another one, check another one and then it's like, Well, he's at City for a reason. So uh, if this was any other manager we'd be looking to get rid of him. People keep talking about the improvements he's made, but surely there's a time where we need to get results, says John O'Leary. It's a results game. It's the greatest cliche in the all of the great cliches. It is the one it's a results game I mean is it really a results game like what, where, what's our pecking order in world football we're never going to qualify for another world cup if we're like if, if everybody has to get 
the results that they're supposed to get on the basis of population size, investment, minutes played, and where you play those minutes in the Champions League, we're never going to qualify for a World Cup again. So, like, there has to be more to it than just results. There has to be, like, a long-term plan, some progress here. I actually think this team could qualify for a World Cup when they're 27, 28, 29. When this group, core group of players, who now have 15, 20 caps, they're going to have 100 caps together. Barring injuries, they're all going to like become centurions around the same time, where they'll be very, very mature, and they'll have had significant, you hope, advances in their club careers. But like at that stage, and maybe it's not Kenny who takes them there. But anyway, no, there is a possibility uh, that you know, in six years' time, we're sitting down and saying, "Geez, Stephen Kenny developed these players, but somebody else was the one who went and got the success with them." Uh, and there's more young players coming through, so there's a definite possibility that, yeah. Some of these players go on and win 100 caps, but actually other good quality players make the breakthrough at their club at the right time and step in. Like There's a constant turnover. I think only three, four of the players who started on Saturday night even started the first game against Armenia. So like the churn is fairly hefty in international football. Yeah. And do, yes, results matter, obviously, but ever since Euro 2012, I think a lot of people have had a different outlook on that. Like Ireland qualified for Euro 2012. They got the results to get there. And it was a shit show. It was... It was the least enjoyable performance from any team at international level we've maybe ever seen. Like, do we want that again? No, I think Ireland want to qualify and then they want to go and perform. Yeah. All right. Uh, 8.40 this morning. Time for the papers. There are so many idiots out there. So many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullsh**. Ah, no, I mean, come on. Don't, don't be... No, I'm not. Yes. No. Uh, right, uh, the, for a little bit of uh, outside perspective, the Telegraph, Southgate, my job is not safe. Is he Is he going to get sacked? He's not going to get sacked. Not before the World Cup anyway, but... Um, so how bad does the World Cup need to be for him to get... Oh, I think if, uh, it feels like it's coming to a natural end almost with Gareth Southgate, like he's been there a long time. And again, if, you know, we're talking about Stephen Kenny's future. 15 months ago, England are within a penalty shootout of winning the Euros, and he's under pressure. So understandably, there's going to be questions about Stephen Kenny. I watched the game on... Friday night, oh my God, it was one of the worst games of football. Uh, Friday night football, it turns out, can be pretty bad. Having watched Villa the week before and then England uh, this Friday night, it's, it turns out it's not the best way to spend your weekend. No, it's They not. were atrocious. Uh, just no discernible game plan. Players who are either on fit, lacking in confidence, playing out of position. Makes no sense. Joshua will not sign by Fury's deadline is the headline here. And it's uh, WBC champion makes threat to quit if deal not agreed. This is... Um, so, all trending towards not happening at the moment. That's Gareth Davis' story in the back of that. Uh, Parrot due a cracker. This is a Neil Reardon story. Stephen Kenny's back, Troy Parrot, to emerge from his gold threat sooner rather than later. So, you've got to pick him again now after this. You can't drop him. Well, I think you maybe see what he's like around the camp. Like, is the head gone? Um, Ogbene played very well. So, if Ogbene comes in, who does he come in for? Does he come in for Obafemi? thought Obafemi did well. I can't see there'll be many changes. But maybe, maybe the sides, you know, Parrot's confidence is a bit shook by that. Uh, knockout blow Walsh fears for the future of Irish boxing if the Olympic incentive is gone it's Kieran Cunningham's story in the back of the star this morning Irish boxing legend Billy Walsh thinks the sport is in big trouble if as looks certain it loses its Olympic place be a disaster for Irish boxing if that did happen um, Kenny's safe for now despite latest losses Paul Lennon's story on the back of the star this morning uh, Troy and Troy again Kenny's backing part to produce goods for Ireland despite glaring myths that proved costly at Hamden um, Troy and Troy again I suppose if you say quickly Troy and Troy again yeah. The world on his shoulders that's yeah, It gives you an automatic It's uh, like when you say a beer can And it 
Bacon. Bacon in Jamaican. Yeah. If you say Troy and Troy again, you automatically get a proper Dublin accent. Uh, Billy Despair at IBA Choice, that's that same story. And the excuses are wearing thin is the headline on Gavin Comiskey's piece in the front of the Irish Times. And uh, that is Sunita Puspor and Zoe Hyde celebrating their bronze medal. O'Donovan McCarthy, bigger biceps, stronger quads, better still to come. Very, very specific. Uh, right. Uh, we did, yeah. Uh, 8.42 this morning. Uh, it, that's the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I haven't. Come on, don't, don't be. No, I'm not. Yes. No. I call Milani's with us, Carl. Good morning to you. How are you? Hey, lads. How's it going? Yeah. Which camp are you in? Kenny out, Kenny in. Because there's only two camps. There's no in between. You can't be like, I actually think we're progressing nicely and we should give him, you know. Cause, uh... No, it's got to be Kenny in, doesn't it? I mean, I think the manner of the performances definitely are trending in the right direction, but they need to win tomorrow night. There have been big letdowns after good performances. That's mm-hmm. the problem here, is that we had a good performance, as Nathan keeps pointing out, the away games against good teams. We've played really well. Um, and I, I listened to the lads talking at the weekend. Um, Shane Keegan was talking about the heat map. But like, if you're playing a counter-attacking, as a counter-attacking team away from home, your heat map of touches is going to be deep. That it kind of That's how... That's the strategy. Like, mm-hmm. so... Um, I don't think I think you would expect the home team who are ranked above us and who are better than us to dominate the ball and it's how effective we are when we get the opportunities we were relatively effective you know but then when the big chance dropped to Parrot I actually thought he was offside to be honest yeah I thought he did really well when the one who was offside where he dribbled around three of them and stuck in the net that was like great composure now, I don't know, did everybody know it was offside? They probably did, but they were still playing like they were. It was right in front of where I was sitting, and you could tell straight away it was offside, yeah, so yeah. maybe he knows. But the chance that he had, the one-on-one, I mean, what was the sense in the stadium when, like, at that stage, had that gone in? I mean, Ireland are in pole position. Oh, absolutely, because I think suddenly the bubble has burst for yeah, Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the crowd, even in the first half, weren't long and getting on their backs yeah. uh, when things weren't going well. So I think Parrot sticks that away. You know, Ireland, in all likelihood, go on and and win the game and what a brilliant counter-attacking goal yeah, absolutely like, it was actually a very good display of counter-attacking football like they picked their way out of defence brilliantly whether it was Darty McLean I thought you know he, there was no long hoofing it up and hoping they'd chase it down quite a lot of their attacking play was a little dink over the top even for that uh, first power one that was disallowed so you, you just have to take <laughs> you say, there may well it may well Kenny in Kenny out be a he may say Kenny is a hard luck story in times come of like his players not taken. Yeah. The bigger moments are always going with the opposition. Yeah. Um, but the, I mean, that game hinged on one or two key moments. I mean, I don't, it wasn't a vast chasm between the teams or anything like that. And obviously, Scotland are in good form as well. So it's. What was the crack with the penalty? I've, I've, I've seen the few replays. Like, why, 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 why are his hands out there? And someone pushed him. Has he slipped? There's a, there's a bit of a shove, but possibly the shove was from John Egan, apparently. Is it looked more like a John Egan shove than yeah. a Scotland shove. Um, but it's just these key moments just seem to be as you say going, out, going against Ireland and, and Stephen Kenny but they do have to win tomorrow night I mean if they don't win tomorrow night uh, I think you, you mentioned last week that you're back to a conversation where the situation about the longer term future but it, it looks like it's going to come down to that Euros campaign and now you're going to have a potentially very sticky draw with England and France now going to be second in that pot two uh, Go- now, there are possibilities, you know, maybe you get hungry in pot one, but again, they're in pot one for a reason. Yeah. 
you're right. I, Vincent Hogan made a good point on the pay per view yesterday that you know, patience will snap eventually, and yeah. like that's that's the worry for the Irish management team ahead of tomorrow night. That if with ten minutes to go it's nil nil, or they were one nil down, like the crowd have really stuck with this group, and you've noticed that at all the home games, the yeah. few home games where they've had a crowd in. That like if that was to turn tomorrow night, we probably would be having a different conversation. If yeah. you know it's a half empty stadium, they're booed off the pitch, but. And I'm wary saying this because they've struggled to follow up good away performances uh, at home. Mm. But like, there's nothing we've seen over the last three games to suggest that Ireland shouldn't win the game tomorrow night. Yeah. And there's also the point, uh, one of the papers makes the point this morning that Stephen Kenny's reign now is approaching, I think, around the 30-odd game mark. That That's similar to what Brian Kerr had in charge. John Giles in charge for... That seven years in no different era, but he only had 36 games or something like that in charts. Most people agree. Both of them <laughs> should have been given longer. Yeah, so you're getting to that stage where he's had a crit- critical mass of games now that you can really judge yeah. you can, where the team is going. And I would say, like, it, <laughs> there's been an absolute transformation in the playing stock, and the team is now playing well since they found. He's, like, he has definitely made mistakes along the way. He has definitely not always got the decisions right in terms of personnel and playing style and that has all evolved to the point where you feel like he's made a quantum leap forward in the last well this calendar year right um, even since the summer like things it seemed like a penny dropped in the summer and now more players are available now there are crowds it's like let's judge him now yeah I think, that's fair. I think that's fair um, can we give a mention I think to Alan McNamee from Rose 13th county medal yesterday uh, with Rhodes, which is, uh, I think, third on the Roll of Honour. I saw Will O'Callaghan tweeting this yesterday that uh, Road of 31, I think, Tullamore of 28, and Alan McNamee has uh, 13. <laughs> so it's quite an achievement, and he's at 40 years of age now, played in midfield yesterday for Road on their uh, county final win over uh, Tullamore at O'Connor Park. So fair play to him on that remarkable achievement by any stretch. Uh, entertaining week at the golf at the Women's Irish Open. Clara Spilkova, the winner of the Women's Irish Open, she finished on 14 under par uh, to win the title after a three-rate playoff, birdieing the 18th. Disappointment for Leona Maguire to an extent, finished in a tie for fourth on 13 under, just not quite making the playoff, uh, but all things considered quite a good week uh, for Leona Maguire. Uh, the United States won the President's Cup for a ninth time in a row last night. They won by 17.5 to 12.5 against an international selection. That it sounds like a hammering. What's the future of this thing? McGinley says they should um, make it mix. That would be interesting. Yeah, like it, it's a strange event in that the Americans have always dominated. The internationals have won one of fourteen, uh, and like the international team has been decimated by Liv. So Liv have obviously gone after international players who don't have as great a connection with the PGA Tour, and also they're trying to create these uh, sort of teams either based on country or region, so that maybe it gets a fan base behind it. And on Thursday, Friday, it looked like it was going to be utter humiliation and they probably would be questioning it. There was enough there yesterday and there was about an hour of excitement where it was quite close, where you thought, actually, it probably still has a future. I think McGinley's idea is a really strong idea because obviously in the women's game, the internationals are so strong uh, mm. that if you add in a lot of those South Korean players, it'd be, and it'd be just something very, very different and very new. I think this week... Shows the problem that the Ryder Cup has, though, that what Liv have also done is taken a huge amount of the personalities out of it. Like, the Ryder Cup is it's a sporting event. Like, who cares who wins? You kind of want it to be exciting and close and a bit of drama and a bit of needle. And so Poulter and Garcia were going to be, they were going to be picks, probably. Well, 
looking at European golf, I would have been shocked if one, if not both, weren't picks, right. uh, even if they're not in their best form. Yeah. Because it's not as if there's a conveyor belt. I know uh, Gidam Migliozzi won yesterday and uh, Rasmus Oigard are both probably young players who might be in the mix. But like Poulter and Garcia are two good personalities at the Ryder Cup who say something slightly interesting. Bryson and Brooks are the type of Americans in a Ryder Cup week you can get at. Like, the journalists will try and get at them and spark something. And that was really noticeable, I thought, in the build-up to President's Cup. It was all pretty bland. Uh, it's very hard to care. But it's very hard to be like, oh, I've got to go and that international team from all over the world who I don't have any beef with, I'm going to say something controversial about them. Like, I, have there been President's Cup beefs in the past? Oh, so much President's has Cup there? beef. Listen, yeah, we need some beef. Try to do a golf podcast every week. You need a, you need a bit of beef. Yeah, so there hasn't been in the past. No, I don't. No. Okay, well, so I'm sure Patrick Reed was. But uh, it's hard for us to understand the President's Cup, isn't it? Because we don't have any tie to it as such. But the Americans, to me, seem to like the President's Cup more than the Ryder Cup. They always win. And there's yeah, no pressure. I, sorry, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. But same with Tiger. He, I think he preferred the President's Cup to the Ryder Cup, didn't he? Yeah. But as you say, because right. they always win. What about Jordan Speed, though? Yeah. yeah he did game. What, what happened? All five, matches, all five matches. All right, very good. <laughs> Why don't you just marry Speed? <laughs> Trying to, try to pinpoint the moment in the season where things started to look up. I think we, I think we. Know. Yeah, 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 meeting you and uh, having the, the pints with sheep, running, running away as fast as he could. Uh, no, I, there's definitely a photograph of you from a distance where, like, you're like staring longingly into his eyes and he's mildly creeped out. Highlight of your year so far. Uh, what else, Colin? Uh, well, the Munster head coach Graham Rowntree says yesterday's performance against the Dragons was so poor. The Welsh club were 23 points to 17 winners at Rodney Parade in its Munster's second loss in a row in this season's uh, United Rugby Championship in football. Some action tonight. One game in the SSE Artricity League Premier Division. The leader Shamrock Rovers play UCD at Tallis Stadium yesterday. Bohemians uh, beat Finn Harps by two goals to nil. And England uh, in action tonight. We mentioned their relegation uh, to League B next year in the uh, Nations League having lost to Italy on Friday but this evening they played Germany at Wembley and kickoff is at a quarter to eight Alright, Carl, good stuff from Thanks, you lads. Thanks a million, it's 8.52 Alan Quillen is with us to talk to us about that uh, Munster situation um, It's very early Alan, we're not going to overreact but uh, at the same time it was pretty abysmal Yeah, that's putting it mildly Ger. Um look, I think the handling errors and the mistakes um, the lack of cohesion, the energy, you know, there's, there's so many things there within their game at the moment that was really, really poor um, yesterday. I think after last week, probably the first match was, was you know, was difficult and we saw a lot of handling errors in that game. But again, yesterday, a lot of changes in the team for sure. But um, just a lot of the basic errors are really, really, really poor. And um, I think, you know, it was a bit of a, a somber situation for them yesterday. I think credit to the Dragons, to be fair. Um, I think they're the only Welsh side that won this weekend and uh, Munster were a big scalp for them given uh, what happened last week away against Edinburgh and their director of rugby, Dean Ryan, uh, what he said about the players and, and having been replaced. So I think um, they just didn't handle that situation at all well and didn't just play it really, really poorly. Yeah, I, I mean, you would have said before the game that they were up against a bit of a rabble considering what the mood music was like. So for Dragons to turn it around and then for Dragons to turn it around and then to be able to come from behind in the last 10 minutes to win the game, like that would be the most worrying part that you couldn't actually put down a team who are as affected badly off the field by what's going on. So um, what from you, what are the, the most concerning aspects of the performance? Um, just, just physically, um, they weren't weren't able to cope 
with with uh, the aggression that the, the dragons were bringing they should have known i'm sure they spoke about it that you know you're going to get a group of players that are going to come out and be very aggressive they're kind of playing for their lives their desire and commitment was questions after the previous week and um just very concerning soft in contact soft in in the breakdown um and you know it's been a, a really poor start for for Munster given you know the two preseason matches and I've spoken about that and that's the reality is there was a lot of chopping and changing in both those games and at halftime in both those games so you kind of had four halves with different teams um, and then last week they lose and this week they lose so it's been a dreadful start for them and I think you can I'm looking at a lot of the comments online from Munster fans and I think there's a lot of worry and concern now. This is a really negative one and it was as bad probably performances as, as we've seen in a long, long time. And so I think it's it's obviously very early days, Chair, but the players have got to take responsibility here and either fix this on, uh, themselves and just be mentally stronger. Of course, you've internationals coming back and you think on paper that it's going to work and it's going to be perfect, but... You know, that's their first game of the season so but it's hard to give a lot of mitigation I mean that respectfully to the Dragons when you see Munster not even being able to win crucial lineouts. you know overrunning the ball wingers on box kicks not actually contesting in the air the opposition catching it on the run like that's that's down to desire and, and toughness and hardness and mentally is it down to fitness in. Is that the problem that they got their preseason wrong? Obviously, a lot's been made of the week off and players getting married and all of that. Like, there's so many well, very two, basic errors. Off. Like that, that that sounds like a team that's not that mentally can't get to it because maybe they're just not fit enough yet. Well, they're two weeks off um, because they had another break at the start of preseason. They trained for two weeks and had a week off, and then they had a week off near the end of the block. So, um, look. I don't know, Nathan. They're, they're they're just not battled hardened at the moment, and they, they they seem to be way behind. I know this preseason plan, and people again mightn't be too happy with it was kind of put in place by by Johan van Gran before he departed. That was the plan, and they, you know this this stuff was planned out a couple of months in advance. Um, but they have a lot of work to do, and and fitness could be an issue. I just think that fitness really plays a part when, when you're under pressure being undercooked in matches is why you play pre-season matches to get the rust and the cobwebs away and off yourself and uh, I just think that it's really really worrying it's hard to kind of sum up because there's so many things going wrong like if they made a few defensive mistakes yesterday and and that was the issue but it was it was a bit of everything I think Mike Haley's pass at the end just really summed up the the execution and the the, the inability to, to to catch pass properly and and just execute. I think look, they tried again, and obviously they tried it. You know, Zebo makes the break; it's the high tackle. I think the break there, uh, but a lot of the time they're just going across the field laterally, and I think Dragons were just fanning out, and they were loving the situation, and I just you saw no energy from Munster to kind of really kind of impose themselves. They probably played for 10 minutes in the game and that was before half time. It might have been even less than 10 minutes and that was 
maybe that was the worst thing that happened to them in a sense they went they went ahead they went in at half time probably thinking yeah well look it's going to be fine now in the second half I'm sure if they went in 15-3 down at half time that the Munster coaches would have really hopped off them and, and but they just didn't react and it's it's worrying that some of the basic errors and mistakes but um, fitness could be an issue with them as well and just being undercooked as well so look it's it's difficult as I said um, there's some players playing their first game yesterday but they should be so much better than that So how quickly do they turn this around where everybody's like ah that was a bit of a blip and this is the real we can see the impact of the coaching ticket we can see the impact of the best players being fully fit what, how long is it going to take before we can react properly yeah, I don't know. I think you need a run, Ger, with with a settled team, and obviously with the emerging Ireland players away, um, they, you know, the other provinces have to deal with that as well. But I think they've just um, had have no continuity in selection, and um, something again that has affect, affected Munster a fair bit in the last few years. They, they actually need to play regularly together and try and get a settled team. It's hard to do that in the modern game because you so much the internationals are away and there's injuries and there's a lot of chopping and changing but um, they've just got to try and get a, a, a really good performance against Zebra next weekend and, and you think they're going to they're going to be going up to Galway then um, who are to play Connacht who are, who are in a bit of a dogfight themselves after losing their first two games they have the Bulls this weekend which would be really difficult as well so um that might that's not going to be easy for them as well and if you lose three games out of your first games well it's going to be very very difficult to, to be in that playoff mix because the reality is the four South African sides are going to be right up there again this year they've started much better and they're going to be really really strong again and their best Ulster players are still to come it. back as well the South African yeah, yeah so it's, it's, it's very concerning and worrying and we said about the minimum minimum Situation where Munster this year is make playoffs in both Europe and, and URC, but it's really that, that this game could come back to haunt him when it comes to getting, you know, even a home quarter final or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. We saw what happened them last year, so um, they have to have a really honest look at themselves. And so, like, if you started going into individual performances yesterday, it's it's pretty shocking, really, to be honest. Um, some of the stuff that we saw the real basic mistakes that were being made and you know the players have got to take ownership of that and and you know I, I, in fairness to Graham Rauncher we, we you know we give out last year and a few times in the previous couple of years about Johan van Graan not really being you know being quite closed in interviews I think Graham Rauncher was really honest yesterday and you know yeah I look at these players I, I think I wonder if this is a bit of a wake-up call for many fans thinking that actually this is going to be easy. They're going to come in, they'll be able to implicate oh, the new the new plan quickly and lo and behold, a new monster will be born. Or actually, is there going to be a transition period where it's pretty grim for a while? Well, it, look, it's, it's, yesterday would indicate, yeah, that's the case, unless, unless it started out pretty quickly. Um, when you have a lot of things to fix in training, you, it's it's kind of do you kind of skim on all of them or do you kind of really just take it step by step? So it is going to take a little bit of time for them. And, um, but you know, they would not be feeling good about themselves yesterday and it does ramp up the pressure. Um, it's a tough job for the coaches and, and that's the reality. There's some players probably when you go down the depth charts that are, are on the basis of what we saw yesterday, 
even though on paper it was a pretty strong monster side that are they good enough are they are they going to you know be able to play at this level and play at the required level that's here I know that sounds very harsh so early on but I'm talking about the basics here and I, and I I'd stand corrected by anyone who says I'm maybe I've been I'm I'm, tr- I'm not trying to be over the top it is very early days but the really really concerning was the energy and the desire and the aggression stuff that's in your control okay you'll have a missed pass and you'll have missed tackles and you'll have a someone switching off in a line out and you know the execution a little bit can be tricky at times and they can make mistakes there but I just what really concerned me was they seemed to be kind of bullied yesterday you just look at the energy out of the Dragons players they were piling into Munster they were smashing them and there was very few people to to if any try to take any sort of control and and really kind of smash them back as well you know so yeah. very very soft in the collisions and you know if you do that going to Wales no matter what kind of team you have on paper you're going to be in trouble and I remember uh, you know on occasions going over there and the biggest frustration Declan Kidney would have had with us is if we got bullied there you know and and we weren't right mentally and and you know maybe they thought yesterday and again it's a, it's a harsh learning curve for some of these players that um you just have to be really, really focused. And if you go back to the start of last season, Jared, the Dragons should have beaten and probably could have beaten Leinster over there. I've got a strong enough, a strong Leinster side. So it was. This was always going to be kind of tight. But I just the inability to kind of eke out a win here, control the tempo of the game, um, and and put them under pressure when 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 it was needed was just lacking and that, and that is a big concern Okay The Connacht Munster game on Friday week is going to be huge it feels and hugely important for both sides already uh, Connacht conceding an insane amount of points uh, in every game it feels like now the Stormers game was tight until Bundyaki's moment of madness and you know watching Bernard Jackman was saying like it was, it was easier to make a property route than what he actually did uh, like this isn't the first time Bundyaki's been sent off and his reaction as well uh, with the referee uh, really wasn't right do you think this will have longer term implications for Bundyaki than just the red card and possible suspension in terms of even Ireland I, I don't think so I, I think I give you my take on it Nathan when, when I saw the, the tackle um, and obviously he questioned the referee after the, the red card I, I didn't put a lot of heat in it because it was kind of a reactive um, look at it and I was just trying to process it. I really thought that I probably would have felt the same. What what else am I supposed to do? And then when you calm down and you look at it, well, you just cannot fly in like that. And it, you have to get some sort of an arm situation going there to try and get the clean out. And if he makes contact then with with the player's head or the back of his neck, well, you have some sort of mitigation. But I think the fact that his arm didn't probably come up um, and it was so forceful and and, and so quick, um, obviously he's trying to clean uh, Sanalta out, out of it there, but he's received a you know pretty long-term injury and a grim kind of prognosis from, from you know a shoulder injury that he received in that contact. Um, it didn't look good. So you look at the reaction online and listen to some other journalists and people talking about it. And the reality is, um, 
it was reckless and the reaction afterwards needs is very very avoidable I think he's not going to change the referee's situation mind mind there and um I don't think it's have, going to have long-term implications regarding Andy Farrell not picking the Irish squad, but I just think, um, and I'm probably no one to talk when I was in that situation. If you're when you're in the heat of the battle, but you've got to be calmer. Um, I'm not saying I would have. How did you find yours then, Quinny? I just think you kind of get that kind of that uh, adrenaline and emotion, and and that's the way he plays with his heart in his sleeve. He's aggressive. Um, he does he's, know. He does know he's going to get. <clears throat> he does know he's going to get red carded for for that though. Like you know, uh, is this is there not something there where you're saying this is now a liability? You could, this could happen in a World Cup quarter final or in a, a game against South Africa in the World Cup. We're down to fourteen men. The game's over. Like at some point, somebody has to. The penny has to drop for Bundyaki that this is it, it is unacceptable. But for I mean, from rugby's perspective, it's not great. Like man no, prone. You know, man prone. It's a cheap. It's the cheapest of cheap shots that it looks like. Anyway, I don't think the intention is to have a cheap shot. I think his intention is to smash the player out there, but he gets it wrong there. I think he plays on the line with that aggression, and you know he's fit, very physical. And I think on reflection, absolutely, he'll know that he was wrong. He was wrong with the the entry point, the force, and the reaction afterwards. Um, I think. You know, we've seen one or two moments from Bundy. I think it was last year in one of the EPCR games. He he had a similar situation with a referee after the game. Did apologise, and you know, I'm not going to. I'm probably not in a position to lecture him because you kind of go into a zone there where you you don't see reality, and you do, you you're te- you have to control your temper there. And he's got that wrong. He's got it wrong 100. He's got the clean out wrong, and he's got the reaction wrong. So. Um, you know, I think he's obviously you go back to the summer in New Zealand and he's he's been brilliant for Ireland. He's not a young player, but he's got to learn this quickly. And I'm sure um, Andy Friend uh, will talk to him about that. And I'm sure Andy Farrell will as well. And you've got to be careful. But he's too good a player just to kind of go, well, um, he's got he's 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 a liability. I don't think he's a liability. I think he just needs to be careful uh, again not a young player so people could argue and say well he's he's a lot of experience and he's an incredible impact on Irish yeah. rugby uh, look, and, like, and he's that's the thing. absolutely brilliant well that's the thing and, and we want him to be available for selection and we want him so he's not going to be available for selection for the, the game against Munster now which could be like it's not season defining because it's far too early for that but like it's a massive massive game from it's Connick's a massive perspective. game for, for, both, for both sides sure because you know you lose another game, like Connacht are potentially losing their first three, unless they pull some some rabbit out of the hat against the Bulls at the weekend and win there. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine what the mood will be like there. Oh, and four. And then, yeah. yeah, and then Munster. Look, you 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 think of course they'll win against Zebra this week, but they've got to get a performance as well. And that game in Galway, and we've seen the last couple of years, Munster and Connacht. There's been a lot of niggle in it. There's been a lot of aggression, and he'll be a big loss to them. Yeah. You know, there's no doubt about Bundy. A fit firing uh, Bundyaki is is an impact to any team, but he's got to he's got to sort this out pretty quickly, and make sure that yeah. for the rest of the season that you know he has a clean slate and, and he just tempers the the the, the 
the aggression a little bit or, or even the reaction, you know, and just be more accurate there. I, I Look, we know what he's trying to do. Connacht are making a line break. But, you know, when I look back, I looked at it multiple times. There's other parts of the body that he can hit and try and, you know, hit the back of the jersey or, or side on a little bit. And yeah. The, the player's injured now. He's out for a long time. And that's a guy, and like, sure. I think it is going like, to... He's a really good bloke and he's, you know, if you ask him, were you trying to injure him? No, he's not. He's aggressive and he plays like that, but he's just got to be careful. I know, but I, uh, you know the point. No one was trying to injure people when they were tackling high in the air and then players were ending up... No players one, were injured. You know, and that's the, the impact. The intention doesn't really matter. It's the impact that ultimately the sport needs to legislate for and it opens up a much broader conversation. I do want to make one uh, further point here. We were talking about Nathan Doak and how exciting it is that he's emerging as a potential scrum half with a... You know, for Ireland maybe, and then uh, you know, John Cooney comes along and is like, "Hang on a second, did everybody forget about me? Why, why, why aren't you talking about me?" At the weekend, he was sensational. Ulster's attack, maybe not their defence, but their attack is sensational at the moment. They're they're stunning to watch, and Cooney's playing the rugby of his life. It seems. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I think it was an incredible performance, and it was one that, um, I, I, it, that was a strong scarlet side. Um, you know, Vaifafita is playing, Sam Lucy, um, you know, loads of power, two big second rows there, um, loads of internationals. And and I thought that was a real tester for them. And you talk about Munster, Jerry, a minute ago, Nathan. It's the mental side, the body language, the energy, the aggression that Munster are really lacking. And Ulster seem to have that little bit of spark at the moment. They leave, seem to have that little drive, that energy. Their con- look, their conditioning looks brilliant. Um, on paper, kind of when I was looking at the forward packs beforehand, I'm saying this this is the one that's going to really test them. Now we're going to see where they're at, but their energy levels and enthusiasm to get into the breakdown and be really aggressive, um, make a lot of hard yards with their carries. Um, I thought they were brilliant. Um, it was superb to score seven tries and John Cooney. You know, he did send out a reminder there to to everybody. Um, and, you know, I said it last week, um, Dan McFarlane is really lucky to have two brilliant scrum halves mm. like that who can offer so much. Cooney is that bit more, has that little bit more of a spark of being able to bounce around the place. And he just, he runs brilliant inside lines. He's incredibly quick, make yeah. lots of he makes lots of line breaks and uh, he just seems to be on people's shoulders when they make breaks and, yeah uh, a bit more like Gibson Park than any of the rest of the ones we have so look uh, plenty of you to get your teeth stuck into in the Red 78 this week Alan good stuff thanks a million we'll leave it there cheers cheers thanks lads that's uh, Alan Quillen the full Munster Wake will take place on the Red 78 this week with uh, Alan and Neve Briggs it is 12 minutes past 9 here's what's coming up on OTV Sports Radio for you across the day OTV Gold is our interview with Paul McGrath Splunk is at 3 uh, the classic is The Brawl it's our documentary series that's an Owen Sheehan special and OTB Gold is Jack McCaffrey at 6 o'clock this evening you can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for the best in the latest sports content OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it's Mike Carlson talking NFL next OTB AM 14 minutes past 9 this morning if you want to get in touch we'd love to hear from you 087 is the WhatsApp number 
Uh, Munster living off their name now. Good times well over, says Mark Callan. I'm not sure about that. Uh, give Kenny the next campaign at the very least, says Patrick O'Brien. Remember the press were slating Farrell after his first Six Nations. Also, Rentry needs two full seasons to iron out the Van Graan malaise. You weren't going to flick a switch and fix all of the Van Graan era problems. You weren't. What if Rontree was part of the Van Graan malaise? I don't think he was, you know. I don't think Andy Farrell was part of the end of the Joe Schmidt malaise either, you know. Look, uh, Munster said they went around the world and they found the guy there. And I, I like they've added a completely different backroom team. So, um, it's like when Shane Hannon got this gig. We went around the world looking for a replacement. Turned out the, the right guy was just sitting here all along. Yeah. There you go. John O'Leary says, I love when Jar gets sarcastic to disregard people's comments. If they're negative towards Kenny, maybe start the show next time Ireland lose and say, don't post a comment unless it's pro-Kenny. Thanks, John. I mean, I wasn't... Uh, just some of it was ridiculous. Like, some of it is like, you'd swear Mick McCarthy was Pep Guardiola. Do you know? And like, this is... He's inherited all of the greats from La Masia and he's turned them into this team who are being beaten by Luxembourg and Armenia. It's like, we, we had got really bad at football. Mm. Our situation was absolutely dire. We're getting slowly better. We're chiseling off decades of underinvestment and like the complete disregard of underage football properly by the organization that was charged to run it. The problem child was our domestic game. Like we're suddenly trying to hold this team to the standards of the 1988, 1990, 1994 team. Even the 2002 team which had Duffer and Roy Keane and Robbie Keane. Stick Duffer, Roy Keane and Robbie Keane into this team at the moment and we're like World Cup quarter finalists. Stick stick Declan Rice and Jack Grealish in. There you go. Be interesting to see what he does tomorrow night. Uh, Josh Cullen's suspended and Cullen is sort of the one player in the squad that there's no like-for-like replacement. Maybe Conor Howerhan, but I'm I'm not sure he'll start Howerhan. Does he go because it's Armenian play? Malumbi and... Hendrick in there with Knight or does he actually play Knight and Malumbi and bring Obene in and go Ooh. back to I wouldn't do that go I back would. to a 3-4-2-1 I don't know I'd stick with what we had playing against Scotland go for like for like as much as you can and um, take it from there but we'll see uh, that game live tomorrow live tomorrow night yeah so it's Stewie Byrne alright looking forward to it OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it was supposed to be the um, the final game ever between Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady last night and it was supposed to be a shootout and we were supposed to see loads of good stuff but instead it turned out into a massive defensive struggle. Mike Carlson is with us. Mike, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm doing better than Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady probably. But, you know, They may have another matchup in the rest home in 20 years or so. You know, That might be interesting. Uh, it did not live up to the, the pre, <laughs> pre-fight hype. No, that's that, that. That's putting it mildly. I, I, I think in one way you've got a, a similar problem for for the two guys in that they don't have the receiving core that they want to. Um, in Rogers' case, because Devontae Adams is gone, they haven't really replaced him. Uh, although Romeo Dubs made a couple of plays in in that game, rookie receiver, and in Brady's case through injury, you know, once he once he gets the, the people back who he's supposed to have, it might well be okay for him. But uh, you're right; it was a defensive battle. I, I thought Tampa's defense, in particular, w- w- was really good, and it and it came down to. Um, a failed two-point conversion at the end of the game that would have sent it into overtime and prolonged the agony for most of the people watching. You would generally say, I think, that the first four, five, six weeks of the season, it takes a while for offences to get up to speed and it's generally a defensive struggle. And you can look at the games that... um, 
San Francisco have been involved in the greatest offensive mind of his generation, barely able to <laughs> rack up any points um, with a horrific mistake made. But uh, you take all that right as as the, the it's a cliche because it's uh, true and it's true because it happens year after year. And then you look at the Miami Dolphins, who have a new coach who have managed to find explosive offense immediately because that guy might actually be the most genius offensive mind in the league at the moment. Well, that may be an exaggeration. Uh, And he comes from that same Shanna clan uh, coaching tree as the 49ers. Buffalo had more first downs in that game um, than San Francisco Francisco and Denver put together um, had in their game. Miami was completely dominated for most of that game. They played very well defensively in a sense. But what killed Buffalo more than anything was the fact that they couldn't finish they had over 40 minutes of possession in a 60-minute game. It's very rare for a team to have that much possession and lose. They had 31 first downs to Miami's 15. They ran 90 plays. They were dead at the end of the game. Guys were limping off with cramps. Um, it was it was in the 90s in Miami, very, very humid. They had almost they had 497 yards of offense to Miami's 212. And what happened was the same thing that's happened in Miami's other wins – they make a few big plays when it counts, you know, at, at the end of the game, especially at home when, when the other team is time. We saw the same thing with New England um, and in the Ravens game. And that's a formula for winning if your defense can keep it close. And the, the real difference in the game when I was picking games on Wednesday, which is always kind of too early to pick games in the NFL week, I said Miami's strength is that deep ball. They have the game-breaking presence of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, you know, who can each make huge plays out of nothing. But Buffalo is a team that's constructed not to allow those kind of plays. Now, that was before Micah Hyde was lost for the season. Jordan Poyer was lost in the game. They had a makeshift secondary, and eventually Miami was able to take care of it. Whether this is Mike McDaniel's master plan, I'm I'm not so sure, but it certainly was what they were looking for to make Tua Tungliavoa more effective as a quarterback by getting these deep threats in by Waddle by draft and, and um, Tyreek Hill by a, by a big trade, um, getting them in for them. So in that sense, the plan is working and Miami's been successful so far. I'm not sure how long they're going to be able to maintain that success when other teams are able to take Tyreek, say, out of the game the way, the way New England did. And when I say take him out of the game, he had nine catches for about 95 yards, I think, in that game. But as long as he's not beating you deep, yeah. you can keep the game manageable. It is pretty exciting, though, that Miami have been able to inject this level of uh, pace and energy and smarts into their offense so quickly. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I you watched McDaniel on the sidelines. He looks like a, a graduate assistant at a college in a college program, you know, but he obviously is a smart guy. He's a Yale graduate. You know, I grew up in that in that area. I've, I've listened to obnoxious Yaleys all my life. Um, and, you know, he, he he's obviously got the team on, on the right page, you know, and and. In a sense, it's only a continuation. I thought they were getting better for the last two years um, under Brian Flores, uh, it, but it was his offense was well behind the defense. Now the defense is still okay, um, and the offense is catching up by leaps and bounds.
Browns. Uh, so, you know, it, it's changed the tenor of that division completely. And with New England losing to Baltimore um, and the Jets reverting back to form, I, I don't think you can think that this is anything but a two-team race right now. Yeah, and, and these two teams are, are more than likely going to meet, hopefully, <clears throat> potentially twice more this season. Yeah, uh, hopefully in the snow at Buffalo. So it'll be totally can... different, of course. <laughs> uh, and what about Patrick Mahomes? Because, um, again, the early season narratives are they've recovered from whatever it was that uh, that happened to them last season. They've added relatively well. <clears throat> Andy Reid always creates, and they're going to go on this cascading run, blitzing teams. But lo and behold, the Colts, who are not great, or certainly had started the season abysmally, managed to pull off a win yesterday. Yeah, this was one of those games that's really frustrating when you're watching Red Zone and maybe you have another game on, you know, to watch or to, and because every time you looked at it, it seemed like Kansas City was going to run away with the game. Um, and, and Indianapolis didn't. The, the Colts defense was playing much more like the Matt Eberflus defenses of the last couple of years. They, they'd had some problems, I think, the, the first couple of weeks getting that. And Stefan Gilmore, who was their big money acquisition and and um, has been mostly hurt for the you know since he became a free agent out of New England had a couple of really big plays in this game. I think defensive players making big plays was sort of the story of, of the weekend. Um, I wanted to I wanted to mention uh, Holland for Miami who I thought just had a had a brilliant game, but. Um, Matt Ryan looked, you know, just com- completely unable to move to move the ball against that pressure you mentioned from the Chiefs. They they were one of a number of teams that sort of sold out to blitzing as a defensive strategy um, this weekend, and and they they just hung in and hung in. And then he he made a play at the end of the game. It, it very hard for me to explain how the Chiefs' offense is not working when if you're watching red zone every time you see it, it is working. So, you know, they're, they're not getting, they're not getting the bread and butter stuff. And to an extent, which I didn't think would happen, but the, the idea of Tyreek Hill as the man who forces the double coverage so that everything else up now it's, it's Travis Kelsey getting the double coverage or they're sitting back and defying somebody else to beat them deep. And that's what they don't have. Kelsey had a, had a great game. He got open a lot, but he's not going to win a game by beating you deep the way that Tyreek Hill did. And I think that's something that they still probably haven't fully uh, adjusted to. Um, and then you saw the, if you were watching, you saw the argument at halftime, um, Mahomes going up to the offensive coordinator, uh, Eric Bieniemy and uh, really screaming. They were screaming because uh, he wanted to run a few plays at the end of the half, and Bieniemy didn't. Um, he just wanted to get in at, at halftime. And um, Andy Reid came up and, and broke them up, kind of saying, "You know, he, Eric's not the Bieniemy, uh, Patrick. You know, let's, yeah. let's get this together." Yeah, I had to get that one in. There you go. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see how well or otherwise. Maybe you know when they're doing America's Game at the end of the season, the three of them will be sitting down, going, "Yeah, that was the moment where we decided we needed to get." together and you know turn the keys over entirely <laughs> to this guy and lo and behold something gets unlocked because it it, it feels like we're very much in a, a, a state of flux at the moment where stuff that we thought we knew before the season isn't entirely true and stuff that um we thought was not going to be true is true like um i'm, I'm looking at the uh, again the, the jags Suddenly, that was great. I mean, that what a what an upset that is, and and, and I know the Chargers are beaten up, and Herbert isn't a hundred percent and all, but they played a, a really strong game on both sides, and you know, I, I think 
first, the first thing you obviously say is it's the effect of coaching <laughs> as opposed having, having Doug Peterson there as opposed to Urban Meyer, who, who was kind of co- coaching as, as a part-time job. Um, it, it seemed with Jacksonville, you know, James Robinson was fantastic. And last season, Urban Meyer didn't want to play James Robinson because he didn't kind of fit his idea, but obviously Trevor Lawrence has been, you know, coached up. Uh, he looks very comfortable. Um, he, he looked, you know, he looked like the kind of guy we expected him to be uh, coming out of college. And their defense is really so much better. You know, and um, I think I think that when you when you look at their defense, when you look at that Carolina's defense, you know, I, you said, I think, early, the you know, defenses are kind of ahead of offenses at this point to an extent that we didn't think they would be after three weeks. Um, but it, it it really is showing in, in games where um, you're getting double low scoring contests from teams who are expected to score lots of points. And, and I think it might say something to the weird preseason that the teams have not adjusted to the new style of preseason, which has far less contact practice and one one less um, exhibition game uh, out of, of and some teams kept kept their starters out of those exhibitions completely. I, I don't think in a lot of cases that we're fully ready to go, and we're seeing, I think, more injuries in the first few weeks than we would normally get, although yeah. I can't, can't swear to that. They're not battle-hardened. One last one. Um, we need to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. I hadn't heard of Dan Orlovsky. Uh, that was kind of a time when I wasn't ah. paying that much attention. <laughs> yeah, the former UConn quarterback. Orlovsky was famous. Uh, actually, this is two things now. I'm going to have to just add, add one. We, we had the butt punt, a, a successor to the butt fumble, where, where Miami's punter kicked the ball into his blocker's rear end, um, and it went out of bounds for a safety. Like right, um, right up it. It was. Right it was up it. I, I mean, it was phenomenal. I don't know. You, you have to look this up if anybody hasn't seen this yet. Um, the, I don't know what they were thinking. Like it was ten years since the butt fumble. You know, if he, if they could have done this on Thanksgiving, it would have been the tenth anniversary. But, I, I, but it, it's brilliant. But like just well, the reason is step the to one side, he, kick kick to yeah. the side. Don't kick it up his hole. <laughs> yeah, he didn't think about that. But the reason you know they were they were in the end zone. So he, normally a punter's fifteen yards back from the line of scrimmage. This time he's only eleven. So everything was being rushed. Um, and it had a big effect on the game as, as well. They might have been better off taking, letting them kick the ball um, you know, or getting the kick off. But anyway, um, Jimmy G, Jan Orlovsky was a quarterback for the Lions out of UConn, um, in fact. And in one game, he was being chased across the end zone and he ran out the back of the end zone in, on a kind of parallel to the line without realizing it. And, and when you step out of the back of the end zone with the ball, it's an automatic safety. So the play ends. Jimmy Garoppolo in the game against Denver did um, sort of the same thing, except he was dropping straight back. He just dropped back a step too far out of the end zone, which turned out to be a good thing because he threw a pick six. And the fact that he had stepped out of the end zone negated the interception and touchdown uh, for Denver. So so by actually making what, what you would consider a dumb play, um, he, saved, he saved the team five points. Right. That's um, it's good when the best thing you've done is concede two points as opposed to <laughs> when that's the highlight of yeah. your day things are going great for you um, yeah. alright Mike we'll leave it there good stuff thanks a million ok thanks Cher cheers uh, um, you know some nights are spent watching a lot of golf for me so I rely on the viral moments for my NFL film yeah. I thought the uh, Ken Dorsey 
the Bulls' offensive coordinator's reaction to them losing was the highlight of the weekend. I missed that. Did you not see this? I'll show you here. Say he loses oh, the rag. Oh, Bills. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Oh, my God. I like so the uh, camera in uh, the coaching booth. And then he actually, he knows he's on camera at some point and realizes it. Is it him or does somebody else put the hand over the camera oh, realizing maybe, maybe that this guy is uh, embarrassing and humiliating himself? Completely losing it, yeah. But it, they were the ones who were the benefits of the book. Of the bu- yeah. Like it, I mean, it was insane. It seems that happened before the, it's a hard thing to say. But punt. No, that's the end of the game. Is this? Yeah, because I was watching that live. Yeah, sorry. Okay. That was the end of the game. I didn't know his name. Um, yeah, so that's like, they were, you know, they're, they're everybody's telling them they're their greatest team that's ever been, that only last year it was the, a coin flip in overtime that prevented them from getting to the Super Bowl, and they would have they rolled in the Super Bowl, which, you know, not even the Chiefs managed to end up doing. So um, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they recover. But punt. But punt. Yeah. 9.31 this morning OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day any other of those comments that we want to get to uh, well said Ger. Bar France 09 and 16 euros Ireland have been woeful for 16 years especially under McCarthy if Kenny had a decent striker he'd have won 7 or 8 more games at least this is true the amount of chances that we keep missing like, yeah look there's definitely uh, I keep thinking the possibility that you know Stephen Kenny's sitting in a studio like this in 5 years time saying what might have been if only this guy had done this thing at this time but Ireland don't have a striker scoring a lot of goals at club level so uh, that isn't going to change it feels like anytime soon uh, some teams have more depth uh, England didn't even include Trent Alexander-Arnold in their squad for tonight's game. He's not making it to the World Cup, I no, bet you. And that's, that's good news he's for Liverpool. Not good for him, but it's good news for Liverpool. Um, is there a fan to team connection? Yes. Do we play football? Yes. With young players? Yes. Do we win? No. All points to the manager change in two years. Season ticket holder since 2000. Results matter, says David Bosang. Well, if we don't qualify for the Euros, he'll have had a chance. Like, that's the thing. Let's wait and see what the draw is. The draw could be a pig. But even if the draw is a pig, like, would that be better for us playing teams who we expect to have more of the ball and then, you know, we can play our counter-attacking style? Ugh. You, might, you might get one, one result against them. They'll all be big games. We'll, we'll enjoy them. We'll have, we'll have a good time. We'll feel alive. All these guys coming to town. Maybe that young Spanish side, you'd like to see them in Dublin, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I wouldn't mind seeing Turkey. <laughs> no. Yeah. Let's all go to Istanbul. It's a dream, isn't it? Well, they, they, we don't really want to play Hungary. They play Izmir generally. They play us, and they never really play us in Istanbul, do they? Apart from that time that they battered Tony Cascarino, that was Istanbul, wasn't it? Yeah, I think us, so. Put them off. OTBM back tomorrow morning. Shane Hannan in the studio. The returning Waterford manager David Fitzgerald will be live on the line. We'll be joined by the 42s Gavin Cooney to preview the Armenia game. BBC Ruby correspondent Chris Jones will be on hand to explain what's happening to Worcester and Wasps and much more besides. Right now we're going to leave you with a snippet from the Sunday paper review. Enjoy. See you tomorrow. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.